Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the best old time radio podcast. And I bet you you weren't expecting to hear me today. <laughs> surprise, surprise, surprise. Actually, it's not much of a surprise. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I was going to maybe do a grab bag of shows or a surprise show. I think, what did I call it? Was it Chester? It wasn't grab bag. It was, well, grab bag's a term I'm going to use. Uh, but anyway, what I'm going to do every once in a while, not necessarily on a weekly basis, maybe weekly sometimes, maybe twice a week sometimes. But because I know you're tremendous old-time radio fans out there, and there are so many different types of shows that you could listen to, that my formula for a, an old-time radio uh, comedy on Monday and a drama on Tuesday and a mystery on Wednesday and a Western on Thursday, I can't fit all the different types of shows in those categories. And uh, so I thought what I would do is just do a grab bag show. And I would take some shows that I would not normally play and clean them up a little bit. I've spent a little time on these, although I'm not going to comment on them because that would just take too much of my time. And I'm sorry that uh, this is a labor of love, folks. <laughs> Nobody pays me for this. And so I just don't have the time to go in and do research on each one of these shows. But these are shows that I have listened to, I've enjoyed, and I did go in and clean them up so that the sound is as good as I can get uh, with my system. And in every one of the cases today, they're pretty good. So I'm not even going to tell you what's coming up. I'm only going to tell you that there's four shows that total about two hours and 20 minutes or so. All right? And it's just going to go from one show to the next without any comment in between. So the one show's going to end, and the next one's going to start up. I will tell you this. There's a, a lot of diversity here. We've got one science fiction show. We've got one a variety show. We have one... Uh, his show, okay, and uh, another uh, comedy, an old-time radio comedy, which is not one I would normally play, but it's different enough. I, I thought it fit this category pretty well. All right, that's all I'm going to say. So you just sit back, relax, get your feet up, <laughs> let the cares of the day drift away, because here comes the best old-time radio grab bag, episode one. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, minus four, minus three, minus two, X minus one, fire! From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand would-be worlds. The National Broadcasting Company presents X, 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 X minus, 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 minus one. one, one.
tonight, the science fiction classic, Knock, by Frederick Brown. Tonight we have a strange story to tell. A sweet, blood-curdling little story that is really only two sentences long. The last man on earth sat alone in a room. There was a knock at the door. What's that? Good morning, man. What? Who are you? You have regained consciousness. Who are you? I am Zan. I'm still asleep, I must be. You are not asleep. Maybe if I close my eyes, it'll go away. I will not go away, man. No. I guess I'm awake. Who... What are you? I am a Zan. What's that? A Zan is intelligent life. Look, I don't... What happened? Where are you from? From planet seven in the third galaxy in the fourth quadrant. Where? It is not necessary to repeat information which is correct in the original statement. Planet seven, but... You mean I'm not on Earth? You are still on your planet. What are you doing here? The Zans have annexed your world. You mean you've conquered Earth? Yes, that is correct. We will now prepare your planet for habitation by the Zan. How about the people? What about the population of the world? You are the population of the world. Hmm? Now, wait a minute. I, I can't... I don't understand what's happened. The Zan have landed on your planet. We have removed the lower life forms to prepare for colonization by the Zan. When did all this happen? Two days ago. You have been unconscious until now. You really mean I'm the last man on Earth? That is correct. Identify yourself now. What? Kindly provide data as to your position in the elementary social order of your planet. Oh. I'm uh, Walter Phelan, Associate Professor of Anthropology at Nathan University. How do you speak English? We have deciphered your written and recorded records. It is not difficult to reconstruct your language. It is a primary type of auditory communication. Oh. Is there anything you want to complete your natural habitat? You mean I'm a prisoner? That is correct. What would you want further in your room? Do I have to stay here? Yes. The rest of my life? Forever. Then you better bring me my books. That uh, there will in... be done. That's rather considerate of you. You know, I've got to call you something. Do you mind if I call you George? It is immaterial. I will be back, Associate Professor of Anthropology. Oh, that's all right, George. Just uh, call me Walter. Very well, Walter. I will be back with your books. All right, George. I'll be seeing you around. You will not be around, Walter. You will be here. George. Hello, Walter. Uh, wait a minute, you're not George. You're different somehow. It makes no difference. The Zan are many, and they are one. Then I'll call you George, too. I'll call you all George. Uh, what can I do for you? Point one. You will please henceforth sit with your chair facing the other way. Uh-huh, I thought so, George. That plain wall is different from the other side, isn't it? That is correct. It is transparent. Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm in a zoo, right? That is correct. How many other animals do you have in the zoo, George? 
216. <laughs> Not complete, George. Even a Bush League zoo could beat that. Did you just uh, pick at random? Yes. All species would have been too many. Male and female, each of 108 kinds. Male and female, huh? Of uh, all the animals? There is a female of your species among the collection. Mm, anyone I know? Uh, well, never mind. It doesn't matter anyway. Well, uh, what do you feed us all, eh? For carnivorous species, we make synthetics. The flora was not hurt by the vibrations which destroyed animal life. Oh, nice for the flora. Well, George, you started out with point one. I deduce there is a point two kicking around somewhere. What is it? Something we do not understand. Oh? Two of the other animals sleep and do not wake. They are cold. Don't worry, George. It happens in the best regulated zoos. What is wrong with them, Walter? Nothing much. They're just dead. Dead? Mm Mm-hmm. That means stopped. But nothing stopped them. Each was alone. Well, maybe they just died of old age. Old age? I do not understand. You don't? How old are you, George? Your planet went around the sun about 7,000 times since I was born. 7,000 years? Yes, I am still young. Yeah, babe in arms. Look, George, you've got something to learn about this planet you've hijacked. Here on Earth, we've got somebody you don't know where you come from. An old man with a beard and an hourglass and a scythe. Your vibrations didn't kill him. What is he? Oh, old man death. Down here, our people and animals live until somebody, the Grim Reaper, stops them. He will stop more? He gets us all, George. With your lifespan, it won't seem like a minute and we'll all be gone. (laughs) Looks like you made a mistake, George. And I don't think there's much you can do about it. That is not correct. The Zan is a logical being. We will take action. Well, George, uh, where are you taking me? We will be there shortly. We will bring your books and your chair. You mean my lease is up? I, I do not understand. It's moving day? That is correct. We are here now. You will live here now, Walter. It is a larger room. Well, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. Go inside. Oh, be careful with those books, George. Don't lose my... Oh, uh, excuse me. Who, who are you? What are you doing here? I guess George didn't explain. Uh, George uh, tries to be polite, but he hasn't quite caught on yet. I'm Walter Phelan. My name is Grace Evans, Mr. Phelan. What's all this about? Why did they bring me here? I think I know why, but uh, let's go back a bit. Do you know just what has happened otherwise? No, not exactly. Well, I've been talking to George. George? Well, that's what I call them, all of them. There's no way to tell them apart anyway. There aren't many of them here yet. They come from outside the solar system, sort of an advanced scouting party. I saw their spaceship. It's as big as a mountain. Yeah, they're moving in on us. They cleaned off the Earth with some kind of vibration. It destroys all sorts of animal life. I don't know whether they did it all at once or if they had to circle the Earth a few times, but they killed everybody. No. I was afraid that... The cheerful note is that you and I and uh, 200-odd other animals were picked up beforehand as specimens for the zoo. You do know this is a zoo, don't you? I suspected it. But I don't remember anything about being captured. I just woke up here. My hunch is they used the vibrations just low enough to knock us all out. And then they cruised around, picking up samples at random. When they were all set, they turned the juice on full blast. How terrible. Well, they solved a lot of problems for us. Housing shortage, wars, even the atomic bomb. I don't suppose the human race... 
you and I have to worry about anything now. It's awful. Only they made a mistake. They underestimated us. I don't understand. <laughs> they thought we were immortal. That we were what? Immortal, like they are. Oh, they can be killed, but the Zans don't know what natural death is. They didn't know anyway until they lost two of us yesterday. You mean there are more than two of us? Oh, not more of our species, no. These were merely fellow animals, a rabbit and a canary. And by the Zan's way of figuring time, the rest of us are only good for a few minutes apiece. It's a joke on them. They figured they had permanent specimens here in the zoo. Well, didn't they even know we'd all die eventually? I don't think so. Uh, George, that is the, the second Zan I saw, told me he was 7,000 years old, and he's young by their standards. When they learned how quickly we die, they, they were practically shocked to the core, if they have cores. How can you talk that way about it? Academic detachment. I learned it at faculty tees. At any rate, they've decided to reorganize their zoo. Two by two. What, are they going to keep us locked up together in this one little room? Yeah, I'm afraid so. There's plenty of furniture, though, and George promised to bring me my chair. We've got to do something. Why? Well, I don't know. It just, just seems to me we owe it to the human race to do something. Oh, well, uh, perhaps you have a suggestion? There must be some way. They can be killed, you said. Oh, yes, sir. I've been studying them. They look horribly different, but I think they have about the same metabolic and digestive system as we. I think that anything that would kill one of us would kill one of them. But you said 7,000 years. Yeah, I, I, I think I figured it out. Now, George cut his, uh, I suppose you'd call it his hand, when he brought in my books. Started to bleed, red blood. But I could see the cut closing as he stood there. By the time he left, it was healed. I don't understand. Well, you see... Whatever factor there is in man that makes him grow old is missing in the Zan. Their regenerative powers must be unlimited. They just don't wear out. They go on and on until they're stopped. Suppose we killed one. There must be some way. Oh. What would be the use? They wouldn't even punish us. They'd just give us our food through a trapdoor and put up a sign saying, Beware of the man. Dangerous. I don't think they'll even have to bother in your case. <laughs> I don't see anything funny. I'm sorry. It just reminds me of Martha. Martha? My wife. She died two years ago. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, not at all. It was a pleasure. Uh, that'll be George with my books. Come in. Hello, George. Hello, Walter. Point one. I have brought your books. Mm-hmm. Point one, eh? Uh, what else is on your mind? Another creature sleeps and will not wake. Oh? A small feathered one called a duck. Well, it happens, George. I warned you. Old man death, the grim reaper. I told you about him. Walter, the Council of Zan has met. It has been decided logically that a... No life form can withstand the full strength vibrations with which we cleared your planet. Therefore, the Grim Reaper you spoke of does not exist. Mm, pretty neat, George. What's B? B, the only intelligent life to escape the vibrations, is you. Therefore, the logical conclusion is you are stopping these animals by some means unknown to us. George, you are off your trolley. You will tell me now how this is done. You've got me. Yes, we have. It is necessary to save the remaining specimens as long as possible. If we do not get the information, we may be forced to dispense with your species entirely. This means you, Walter, and the female. Now, now hold on, George. Don't go off half-cocked. Uh, let me take a look at these animals that won't wake up. I will take you there now. Go first, Walter. After you, my dear George. <laughs> You should have got him in the winter, George. The fur's worth more, then. It's ermine. This is the reptile cage. Mm -hmm. 
Here are the ducks. That is the male. The female has been stopped. Yeah, lucky girl. What's the matter, fellow? Lonely? Hmm? Walter, you will tell me how you stopped the female duck. Well, you got me, George. I didn't do it. Maybe she died of the Dutch elm blight. Walter, you are not being logical. We have concluded you are stopping these animals. Tell us now how it is done. I've told you, George. I haven't the foggiest notion. Very well. We will have to take further action. Well, what are you going to do, George? We will go back now to your room. What happened, Mr. Phelan? Uh, you might call me Walter. After all, George does. And we have more in common. Please, what happened? Oh, just a duck, a dead duck. George thinks I killed her by remote control. He wants me to tell him how. Did you? Look, I'm just an ordinary anthropologist. There's no telling what those animals died of. Just natural causes. But George can't see it that way. He thinks I'm holding out on him. Good. Hmm, what? At least we can get back at them some way. At least we can do something to them. Well, why? After all, George isn't a bad fellow. If you like an ant mentality. How can you say that? They murdered the whole in the human race. I suppose so, but uh, we can't change that now, so why think about it? We just can't sit here and do nothing. I fail to see how we can do anything else. But at least we could be fighting. I can't see the virtue in that. I was more or less content with my books, and we've got George to talk to. Of all the men in the world they had to pick, don't you want to fight back? Don't you want to keep on fighting to the end? It hadn't occurred to me. But we've got to, Walter. Why? I can't really explain it, but... Walter, if there was any good in man, it was that he kept on struggling against nature and, in the end, even against himself. But he kept on fighting for what he thought was right, and we're all that's left. Walter, we, we just can't end by giving up. We've got to keep on fighting. You know, you do remind me of Martha. There isn't much left for us. We could beat them in this one small thing. We can pretend there's a secret about death. We could refuse to tell them anything. Well, there isn't anything to tell. But they don't know that. Promise me you won't give in. Well, I suppose the worst they can do is kill us. All right, Miss Evans. Hello, George. Hello, Walter. Now you will tell us how these animals are stopped. George, this may come as a shock to you, but I've decided not to tell you. Why? Oh, a romantic attachment to lost causes. My grandfather was a Confederate officer. Walter, you are not being logical. Neither was my grandfather. He charged a Yankee battery with one round of ammunition and a corncob pipe. You are not logical, but that is expected in lower life forms. You will come with me now, Walter. Where are you taking him? To the second level. Go now, Walter. He won't tell them. I can't guarantee anything, but as of now, I don't intend to. We've got to fight, Walter. Remember that. We've got to go out fighting. Yes. Yes, I think you're right. Go now, Walter. Goodbye. It's uh, been a pleasure, Miss Evans. I am waiting. Go now, Walter. After you, my dear George. You will tell us now, Walter. Uh... That was the first level of vibration. There are many more. However, we have calculated that none of them exceed your threshold of unconsciousness. Oh, very clever, George. Of course. You will tell us now, how do you stop these animals? You will tell us now? As of now, no. However, I'm not very brave if that encourages you, George. You are not being logical, Walter. You're telling me. We will now use vibration level two. <laughs> 
Walter. Walter, you are still conscious. Let me alone, George. You will tell us now. You will tell us now how you stopped the animals. Let me alone. Let me alone. We have had vibration levels one and two. There are still 15 more before your threshold of unconsciousness. No, no, no. Let me alone. Walter, listen to me. Another creature sleeps and will not wake. We must know now. It's tough. You better start vibrating again, George. No. What? It would not be logical. We have calculated that no further level of vibration will overcome your irrational psychological block. We conclude you will not tell. And let me go? That is correct. Oh, that's uh, real nice of you, George. I appreciate it. We have calculated that the resistance of the female of your species will be lower. We will now place her under the vibrations. No, no, no George, George, you can't do that. No, listen, George. George, there is no secret. Can you understand that? There is no secret. Those animals died from natural causes. I'm telling you the truth. That is not a logical answer. We will get the woman. I've told you the truth. Can't you understand? We must know now. The female animal cage next to the duck has been stopped. We must preserve the survivor. But the animal... Animal next to the duck? We will bring the woman here. She will tell us after the vibration. No, no, no. no. Listen, George. You want the truth? You want to know how to save the mates of the animals that have been stopped? You will tell us now? Yes, yes, I'll tell you now. I, I give up. But you've got to promise to leave the woman alone. You promise, George? If we receive the answer from you, Walter, there will be no further need for the vibration. Well, I guess that'll have to do. All right. All right. Take me to that stopped animal. I'll tell you how to save the mate. Very well, Walter. You are being logical now. We will go. Walter, are you all right? Just, uh, just let me catch my breath a minute. What did they do? What happened? After a while, I told them what they wanted to know. Oh, no. As uh, George pointed out, it seemed to be the logical thing at the time. But you promised. I know. It was our last chance to beat them on even one little thing. Perhaps. You mind if I sit down? You gave up. I suppose you could call it that. I'm very tired. They've beaten us completely then. There isn't even anything we can do. The last of the human race and we give up. We don't even die fighting. Oh, it isn't that bad. Uh, something might turn up, Martha. What did you call me? Huh? Uh, huh? No, I, I must have said Martha. Sorry, she was my wife. She died two years ago. What were you saying? Nothing, nothing. It doesn't matter. It's too late. It's too late for the whole human race. What now, George? The council of the Zan has met. No? Something wrong, George? A Zan has been stopped. What? A Zan is dead? That is correct. Well, you didn't believe me, George. But you can die. You can really die. You'll have to get used to that if you're going to stay here. The council has decided. A, you have in some way stopped this Zan. B, you and the woman must be eliminated. Walter. No, no, you've got it wrong, George. The council has decided. This time you will have the full vibration. This time? Walter, what did they do to you? Oh, they, uh, they have a rather effective third degree. They tortured you, Walter? Yes. And I... I thought... Walter, it was all my fault. I wouldn't even have tried without you. I suppose we have a last chance now to, to end with some dignity. I think you're a very brave man, Walter. No, not very. There isn't much else to do. Do we go now, George? Now, Walter. Wait. 
that? I have been told another Zan has died. Now, now will you believe me? The Council of the Zan meets now. Two gone already, and you were with me, George. You know I didn't kill this one. What stopped him then? I told you, it's old man death. You came to the wrong planet, George. Your immortality doesn't go down here. He can stop you, but you can't stop him. And you'll all die if you stick around. What now? The council has decided. This is a place of death. We will leave your planet. Leave? You mean you're giving up? It is not safe for the Zan. Oh, Walter, they're leaving. They're really going. Come on then, George. And uh, don't hurry back. It would not be logical to do so. We are leaving the Earth now. Goodbye, Walter. Goodbye, George. Wonderful to feel the sun and the wind again. Yeah, they've closed the hatches. Walter, is it safe for us to be out here? Yes, they're not interested in us any longer. They only want to get away. And I want to see this, Grace. The Zan leaving Earth forever. They're blasting off. There they go. Yes, it's all over now. Well, I suppose we might as well go back in. I, I still don't understand. Walter, what made them go? Oh, well, I, just, uh, I just told them the facts of life. Of death, you mean? No, no, of life. After all, I thought George was old enough to know. At 7,000 years, he was going to be a pretty big boy. I wish you'd stop joking and tell me what happened. Look out for the step. Well, uh, you remember when the first animals died? The rabbit and the duck? Yeah, and their mates just started to pine and waste away? yes. Well, that worried the Zan. They wanted to keep the last specimens alive if they could. So, finally, I broke down and told them about affection. Affection? Yes. And then I introduced Donald. Donald? Who's that? Here we are. Grace, meet Donald. Oh, Walter, please. What does affection have to do with it? That's what the Zan wanted to know. I told him it was love that made the world go round. That having lost his mate, Donald would die immediately unless he had affection and constant petting. Petting? Hmm? I even showed him how. Here, fella, come on. Come here. I held Donald in my arms, and I petted him a while. Then I let the Zan take over with the animal in the next cage. What animal? Take a look. You mean this cage? Mm -hmm. Watch out. Don't go too close. Walter, it's a rattlesnake. Yes. Their metabolism made it impossible for them to die of old age, but I had a hunch that they could be poisoned. Then it was the snake that killed the two Zan. Mm-hmm. They never even knew what bit them. Then you outwitted them, Walter. Well, I, I suppose... I you... thought you'd just given up. Oh, Walter, I'm so ashamed. You don't have to be. I had given up. I probably wouldn't have fought if you hadn't pushed me. Well, I... Well, we've got a world to plan. A new world, Grace. I know. We'll have to decide which animals to let out of the zoo and which ones are to be safer to keep in. But first, there's a bigger problem. What's that? The human race. Oh. We've got to make a decision about that. Pretty important one. Yes, but... It's been a nice race, even if nobody won it. Of course, it may go backward for a while until it gets its breath, but we can save the books and all the most important things and get it started ahead once more. No! No! 
It's the Garden of Eden all over again. Uh, but Eve, you'll have to watch out for that snake. Now, don't. Don't be ridiculous, Walter. You know, funny, you even blush like Martha. Only uh, you're stronger than she was. Prettier, too. I, I, I wish you'd forget about Martha. I think I will, my dear. If you'll give me time. Now, Walter Phelan, you listen to me. If you think for one minute that I... That I we thought could... it would never happen to me again. But it is love that makes the world go round. So, Grace, if you could only... No. I wouldn't marry you if you were the last man on earth. But that's exactly what I am. I don't care. I don't even want to talk about it. I'm going out. All right, my dear, but think it over. And please come back. You see, I told you. It wasn't really so horrible, our story. Remember how it goes? The last man on earth sat alone in a room. And then there was a knock on the door. Come in. Come in, Grace, my dear. You see, it wasn't horrible at all. In just a moment, a word about next week's adventure. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Knock by Frederick Brown, adapted for radio by Ernest Kinoy. Featured in the cast were Alex Scorby as Walter, Laurie March as Grace, and Louis Van Ruten as the Zan. X-1 was directed by Fred Way and is an NBC Radio Network production. Now, next week. A strange and chilling story from the Bureau of Missing Persons. The story of what occurred when they accidentally intercepted a shortwave message. A cry for help from a missing atomic scientist who told them the fantastic story that he was now the man in the moon. How did it happen? You'll hear next week at X... Minus... One. Join the Abbots on another baffling mystery tonight over most NBC radio stations. You know, we had a little party here at KNX last night, a little Halloween celebration. We had lots of apples, oranges, all sorts of good things to eat. But here is a leftover lemon from Trick or Treat, Steve Allen. <laughs> what am I laughing at? wonder who they're talking about. Leftover lemon. <laughs> Whoops. <clears throat> 
I just picked up a bag here and slammed it down on the piano. That's very dangerous. I never know what might be in there, an old light bulb or something. I'll get back to that in a minute. First, I want to say hello, everybody. Yes, dance. I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to say hello. I'm very tired these last few days now that the afternoon thing has started. I, uh, I've gotten back into my old habit that I was in before I left on vacation of falling asleep on the, on the couch in the evening. You can see the wrinkles. I mean, I sleep in the front room. You can't get undressed. People are coming in and saying, ooh, television. You know, if I'm there in my pajamas. <laughs> if I'm there in my pajamas, they're nervous. I am, too. They're old pajamas. But the, I mean, it doesn't work out well, so I have to, uh, no individual laughter, please. And I have to work together on this thing all the way through. I have blueprints of every joke available for 10 cents a piece. Anyway, um, anyway, what? What was I talking about? Let me see, I was standing here opening. Oh, yeah, I was asleep on the couch. I'm tired, that's what I was getting at. I'm so tired, I can't remember. But uh, I have had to go back to my uh, former habit, as I said, of taking a little nap after dinner on the couch in the front room. And my mind has been sort of a turmoil. I've been having all sorts of horrible dreams. I had a very frightening dream early this evening. I dreamed I was on a lonely island in the Pacific, surrounded by girls. Don't laugh, I dreamed I was a girl too, you see? I don't know how those things happen. Let's start the program, Joe. As I've often said, I've come close to stopping it. Play the theme and then we'll see what happens, huh? People call him Laughing Boy. He's always got a smile on his face. And just because he's Laughing Boy, the folks invite him out every place. never seems to have a care. They call him character. They call him clown. He's always got... Good. <laughs> Thank you very much, Hoagie, and good night. That's the only part of the show that Hoagie listens to. He's in bed right now. Uh, anyway, hello, more or less. This is Steve Allen, the Square from Columbia, speaking to you from Columbia Square in Hollywood and inviting you to stick around and get stuck with... Uh, Another 55 minutes of, you know what to expect. I don't have to go through this thing every night. I'm just looking at a big box that's on the stage here. It, uh, oh, it might hold an automobile tire for a midget racer. It's about that size. It's hard to say what it is. And on top it says, caution. Over one side is written, danger. Over here there's a skull and crossbones. And it says, beware. I wonder what's in here. Mabel Steiner, what could be in here? I'm opening it. Oh, isn't that nice? My button has just come through here. I've been trying to get into an organization for quite some time. They've just sent me my... I can put this on my lapel. Car Strippers Incorporated. Isn't that... Nice? There it is. It's a, it's a great big hubcap. And it's not a model of a hubcap. It's a, It's my old hubcap. Whoop! Well, now it's my new hubcap. <laughs> there it is. Isn't that nice? Car Strippers Incorporated. See, there's lots of uses for this thing. I mean, I imagine. There's, uh, the gentleman who gave it to me will step up here. I'll show him a use for it. Right now. <laughs> Banging on his head. No, that's very cute. Uh, it's very filthy, too. Wish you'd clean these after you steal them. Who, uh, who gave me this? Uh, you fellas? 
That's very nice of you to bring it back. It really is. Makes a nice, uh, nice hat, doesn't it? Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Bzzz. That's a pretty clever ad lib. Bzzz. Saves the writing material. What else could this be? Whoop. <laughs> Got it stuck on my head. Uh, could make an ashtray for pell mell cigarettes. Such dirty presents people bring. Well, your heart is in the right place anyway. It's in your mouth, I hope. <laughs> I have another little thing here I want to open. Uh, there's a bag here, a little note on the outside of it. It says, the enclosed pennant from Mammoth Cave. I'm check on that before I read the rest of the note. Oh, isn't that cute? It's a pennant from Mammoth Cave, just like the fellow said. <laughs> says, the enclosed pennant from Mammoth Cave is respectfully dedicated to the next loudmouth who interrupts you during your show. <laughs> Bob Rogers. Where are you, Bob? Thank you, loudmouth. <laughs> oh, you were supposed to say something real loud, see, and then it would have gotten a laugh, wouldn't it? No, it's very nice. He held up his hand like a gentleman with a glove on it. <laughs> That's very sweet. Where have you recently come from Mammoth Cave, uh, Bob? You passed through. Uh -huh. How are the rest of the bats? Are they still bad? <laughs> That's a nasty thing to say. I'm very mean, I guess. That's really nice. What was he raised? Oh, Kentucky. I see. You're not proud of Kentucky, or what? Well, where are you from? Washington. Oh. Well, anyway, that's no time for politics. I just thought I'd ask. Hey, did any of you people see the Milton Berle show on television tonight? Quite a few of you did. It was a wonderful program, as it always is, for that matter, every Tuesday night. But there's one thing I found very significant about Burrell's show tonight. Um, he had three midgets on it. Did you see them? Weren't they cute? The little girl and then the two fellas, and then they danced with a... What do you call a regular person? <laughs> there must be a name for us. <laughs> We're not letting the midgets put anything over, you know. I'll kick those little... I, they can't get away with that. They're, they're pulling something. They've been going to the dictionaries and cutting words out. Tell Frank Colby to make up a word. Anyway, he had these three little midgets on his program tonight, and as I say, that to me was the most significant thing that's happened in television for the past four years, because they finally got people just the right size for those little screens, you know? <laughs> and I'm holding auditions out in my garage <laughs> tomorrow afternoon. I want all the midgets to come out, and I'm auditioning talented midgets, and I'm going to have the biggest show on television. I may have to lie down and look right into the camera to get on it myself, but uh, I'll do it. Speaking of things of interest to uh, to people in the theatrical line, uh, I have a copy of Variety here, Daily Variety, that's the uh, Bible of show business, or whatever you want to call it. Very thin, but it comes out once a day. That's the way it goes. Anyway, there's a, a story here on page one, says, Jolson CBS, sign exclusive deal. That means that Al Jolson will also be on CBS uh, very soon. Let me see here. Al Jolson and CBS yesterday closed deal. They couldn't say A? I don't know. Al Jolson and CBS yesterday closed A deal. I'll add lib that in there. Whereby Singing Star will be exclusive to the network for guest shots on radio and television for the next two years with option on singers part for one additional year. And uh, then he'll have his own program and stuff. I feel very proud. I think I brought this about. <laughs> 
but I'm crazy <coughs> because I never brought anything about. No, I think they were already cooking it up. And here again, I'd like to thank you folks for all your wonderful letters about that particular program that Idal was on with us here. And for all your nice letters in general, and while I'm on the subject, I'd like to say that if you have written to me and haven't received an answer, that's because I haven't written you one. <laughs> and the only reason I haven't is because I'm way behind in answering mail. Uh, I'm real busy now, and uh, I have a part-time secretary. The rest of the time, she's a car hop. And uh, I guess that would only be funny to another car hop, if not another secretary. But anyway, she's very busy, and I'm busy. We can seldom get together. She says, let's dictate Tuesday night, and I'm doing something Tuesday night, so I... Anyway, we can't get it. We're weeks behind, and so eventually you'll receive an answer if you're waiting for one. If you're not, you'll probably get one anyway, but that's the way it goes. Let me see here now. What else was I going to mention? Oh, yeah, something else in variety. I don't know how many of you people read it. I don't suppose very many of you, percentage-wise, but uh, this, is, as I say, as a paper a publication which show people read, and, and any time you want to get a message across to other people in show business, you put it in Variety rather than in the Tehachapi Times or something like that. And there's an ad in Variety tonight that says, uh, it's for, so I guess put in by Steros, it says, Gary Cooper says, victim on is swell. <laughs> I don't know why that strikes me funny, but it does. And I always expect to turn the page and see another ad that says, victim on says, Gary Cooper is swell. <laughs> And then in the turn one more page and they're engaged to be married, you know? It's a... <laughs> but if more people in this town thought that other people were swell, that would be grand. Now then. Oh, I have a, a note here. Uh, this is from Pat Hogan. You all know who Pat Hogan is, don't you? Thank you, Mrs. Hogan. Anyway, he is, you all know, except for people who just got in town. He's the radio editor of the uh, Los Angeles Examiner. I'll read to you for a minute. It's finally come to Los Angeles. The dazzling and spectacular Harvest Moon Dance Contest at Pan Pacific Auditorium on November 18th. You'll see the finest jitterbuggers in the Southland in red-hot competition for fabulous prizes. The finest rumba, samba, tango, foxtrot, and waltz dancers. Two top bands, <laughs> plus uh, exciting variety acts and celebrities from the motion picture industry. And here's a tip. Are you ready? Buy your tickets now. <laughs> what a tip. On sale at all mutual ticket agencies and Southern California Music Company at reasonable prices. It's all for charity, by the way, so all kidding aside, you can have a wonderful time for yourself. A question that faces the house tonight, before we go any further. Let me see, where was that? Oh, my goodness, I lost my place. And the book is 479 pages long. Card games, calamities, buildings, books, authors. Wait a minute. There's something. Can water buffalo survive entirely on land? The affirmative tonight will be... <laughs> Would you like to know? You may leave the room if you don't. Although it is true that the water buffalo is very fond of water... <laughs> and remains near it as much as possible, it can live quite easily without being in water. It must have water to drink like all other animals. Do you know that a water buffalo drinks other animals, isn't it? It must have water to drink like other animals, but lying in water is a matter of comfort <laughs> and not of sustaining life. Well, so much for that. Uh, it's time now for you to meet a gentleman. 
I don't know what I am, but I want you to meet a gentleman. And, no, I want to play the piano for you for a minute, because if I don't do it now, I'll forget. Oh, what are you laughing at? <laughs> so I don't plan anything, that's all right. I don't even know what I'm going to play, but I'll think of something by the time I sit down. I thought of something. I thought of standing up again. Want to turn on this other mic, Joe? Wait till I wipe all the uh, axle grease off my hands here from the, the hubcap. You know what my oldest boy used to call hubcaps? Have you noticed that, well, uh, to my, to this very day, every so often I learn how to pronounce a new word, and I think in all, all of us in our uh, speaking vocabularies have the words we mispronounce. And, uh, of course, the older you get, the uh, fewer words are in that particular little bundle. But uh, to get a little back into the subject, not so deep here, the, one of the last words that Stevie has had trouble with is, is, is the plural of hubcap. And he's all right with them now, although he very rarely has uh, occasion to use the term, since he found he couldn't pawn the things. <laughs> but he used to call them habscops. <laughs> and then he called them uh, scab hops. This, these aren't jokes. These are hubcaps I'm talking about. But he really did. He called them habscops and scab hops, hobscaps, skeeb hoops. Uh, Tune in tomorrow at the same time for another chapter in the life of Stevie Allen, Boy Habscop. <laughs> oh, me. Here's a song that Vic Damone has brought back. I'll put a stop to that right now by playing it. <laughs> thing I heard this evening, I was watching KTTV, and when they take station breaks on television, they play music. They don't do that on the radio. And it sort of annoys me, because I enjoy it, and I can never hear enough of the songs they play. Usually they're pretty nice records. They play about 19 seconds of them. That's the way disc jockey shows used to be years ago. Tonight they played a thing, and it took me about, oh, 30 seconds to think of the title. I can't remember all of it. I'll just play enough and see if you can remember the name of Big Hit about, oh, 15 years ago. I know it. 
remember that? They call Moon Song. I don't know all the colors. To it. Well, I want to introduce this fella now. This big song now, as you know, is Mule Train. And, uh... <laughs> Any birds in the house? Or... Just picked up a salt shaker on stage. I'll find out why later. Waitresses at Brits are getting very careless. <clears throat> so is the cashier. Anyway, um... Mule Train is sweeping the country. <laughs> which is somehow just, I suppose. And uh, one of the biggest records of the number is the one recorded by this fellow here. I want you to meet him in all his hirsute glory. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Tennessee Ernie. Huh? Let's hear it. <laughs> Hello, Ernie. Hi, Steve. How are you? Brought one of your fans, huh? Just the man that sets alone, ain't it? Yeah. Beginning to see why. What do you got in the bag, fella? Nothing. You'll be alone from now on. That's all right. I won't bother you. Ernie, we got a special mic and table for you. I forgot to tell you today. You want to sit down and be comfortable? Yeah. Boy, those are pretty boots. Texas boots. They're Texas boots. Why don't you wear your own boots? Now, what's Tex going to say when he finds out you're wearing his boots, huh? The same size foot I have. I <laughs> well, that's oak with me. Oak. Yeah, I don't know, ash or <laughs> cherry wood or something. Let me see the tops of those things. Boy, those are beautiful. Green and orange. No, that's yeller. <laughs> yeller, huh? Yeah, it is. I'm a little colorblind. Are you? <laughs> I'm blind. <laughs> No, I'm all right. That's an old joke. Boy, those are pretty. Where'd you get those? Fort Worth. <laughs> uh-huh. What's the other Fort Worth thing? <laughs> no, 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 please, no, no! <laughs> There'll be more. I mean, you can wear yourself out if you start that. What size do you wear, Ernie? Two. Two cowhides. <laughs> no, that was not. That was a much better joke than mine, and you just sat there, you see. Well, you're. No, all there are nines and a half. Is that all? Yeah. They look big. How high do they go? Well, that'd be telling. <laughs> I guess it would. Ernie, now let's talk about your beard. How long have you had it? Oh, about three feet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I see you got to be quick around here. <laughs> um, about a week and two days ago, I went up to Utah and went deer hunting. I didn't shave. Oh. I ain't shaved yet. Well, I figured as much, but I... <laughs> is it a result of... Oh, is, it a result? is it as a result of a bet? No. I'm trying my best. <laughs> to look like a mule skin. <laughs> oh, you're making personal appearances. <laughs> yes, and it itches. 
It itches? It itches. Oh, we better play it then in a minute or two. <laughs> I don't think that'd be a bad idea anyway right now. Well, it's about time for music to sort of take away the taste of the piano playing there. And this is, I don't know, I mean, musical taste is musical I taste. like your piano playing. You keep out of this. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. You really play that applause record good there. That's, he brings that in at a moment's notice as it wound up. Ernie, uh, uh, I think I haven't heard every record on Mule Train, and I, don't, I have so many friends and so many enemies in the music business that I don't want to go right ahead and say, this is the best record. But by golly, this record has a beat. That not very many of the records have, I'll tell you that, especially in the second chorus. How'd you get that beat? I mean, mechanically speaking, what is it, a bass up close to the mic or what? Yeah, that's one thing, and uh, one, one guitar was, was uh, worked real close to the mic uh, oh. to get the beat on. You mean on the little bridge? Uh, that yeah. Well, I said, this record has a great beat. Let's listen. Why am I talking so much? Here it is, Tennessee Ernie's Mule Train. Tennessee Ernie's... How they never stop There's a plunk of chalk back there for a miner in Corona, a guitar for a cowboy way out in Arizona, a dress of calico for a pretty Navajo. Get along. Get along. There's cotton thread needles for the folks way off Chandler. A shovel for the miner who left his home to wander. Some rheumatism pills for the settlers in the hill. Get along. Get along. Clippity-clop-clippity-clop-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-clippity-cl
Say. Yeah. Did you ever pop a whip? You ever whip a pop? <laughs> That's much diff- more difficult. Well, that, in case anybody tuned in late, you were just listening to Jab 341 <laughs> on the Sumatra label. No, that was Tennessee Ernie. The reason for the big laugh here was, uh, I don't know. But I got an 18-foot length of the microphone cord here that's probably able to lacerate the faces of the first eight rows. You ain't got no popper on the end of it. <laughs> well, uh... You need a little piece of silk on the end of that, and it'll just pop like everything. <laughs> Maybe everything isn't popping these days, though. That ever occurred? <laughs> hey, I got a joke. Not yet, but it's coming. <laughs> you know the difference between an American bullwhip and an English bull? <laughs> And the American bull, this is the old motorcycle joke with a switch. See, the American bull whip goes pop, pop, and the English one goes pip, pip. <laughs> I think that joke was originally written about popcorn. English popcorn, American popcorn, motorcycles, now bull whips. Well, bull whip, or I mean, uh, Tennessee. Yeah. How did you happen to come across that song? I was called on the telephone at 11 o'clock at night the night before I left for Utah. I said, I don't want to record. I'm tired. You're what? Tired. I didn't think they did that anymore. Tired. I thought the pillow interest put a stop to that. I mean, great shortage of feathers. There's no go ahead. I I, I was tired. Uh, I was, well, you were pooped. Too tired. I was what? <laughs> we better quit while we're ahead. I'll go. Yeah. All right, you uh, you were tarred. I was, I was tarred. <laughs> and I was too tarred to build a fire. And uh, uh, that night. Oh. Because I had to drive 19 hours the next day, but that's got nothing to do with it. They said, come down, we got a song. Oh. I said, why don't you come over here? I got one over here. <laughs> and who they who said, are they? Capitol Records. Oh. Oh, them. Say it again, will you? Oh, them. Oh, you mean... Capitol Records. Capitol Records. Capital Records. So I went down at 11 o'clock that night and recorded the song. Very mm. happy now that I did. <laughs> Aren't you tired, though? Awful tired. <laughs> hey, I got some real disgusting news for you. This is KNX. <laughs> it's time, you know, to put that in there. Uh, we got 50,000 watts, and... Uh, 50,000 watts? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, Costello. <laughs> <laughs> 50,000 watts and 1070 kilocycles. You know what a kilocycle is? It's, uh... Well, no, that's a... No! That's about what it is, all right. A kilocycle... I mean, a kilocycle is a little cycle that got killed, and it's a... It's a sort of a motor... Well, poor little thing. <laughs> Must have been tarred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Topped again. Anyway, it's 12.34, and we played a record, by golly, and it was really... It's going like hotcakes, isn't it? Well... 
These hotcakes going pretty good? <laughs> oh, they're popping like everything. I, uh, well, I hope so. Uh-huh. Uh Ernie, I wait. bought one of them. <laughs> like hotcakes? Say they do look like hotcakes. <laughs> like the kind they serve at Coffee Dan's, yeah. <laughs> With a hole in the middle for the butter to run back under the table. <laughs> K-N-X Los Angeles. Oh, don't let me forget Ernie to go down and talk to that cute little girl in the second row. I just heard her cackle. I thought of that before you did, I think. She <laughs> sure is pretty. Funny. Well, let's uh, get a little background about you, Ernie. Where are you from originally? From Tennessee, East Tennessee. Oh, that's right. Tennessee, Ernie, yeah. Well, look, uh, Tex, uh, when did yeah. you, you start entertaining, singing? Um, you mean... Uh, so, well, what do you mean? I mean, I mean, I've, uh... I can write it down for you. <laughs> what? You mean, uh... You mean in figuring on getting paid for it or otherwise? Well, let's not bring that up, but... Uh, well, yeah, have it your way. Now I'm more confused. Than <laughs> oh, I started in the radio business in 1937. Uh-huh. As a staff announcer. Where? Radio station, can I say? It's too late now. <laughs> sure. W-O-P-I in Bristol, Tennessee. That's a pretty horrible name for a radio station. <laughs> they had 50 watts and one turntable. <laughs> That's better than 50 turntables and one watt. I guess. Yeah. Although not much. <laughs> you couldn't segue much, could you? Not too much, no. You have... Well, there's a little pause in between, but yeah. you can usually... Uh-huh. And how long did you announce back there? I was there uh, till 1939. Mm -hmm. I went to Atlanta then for a little while. And, uh, <laughs> and when did you but get I out? I didn't go there. <laughs> and that's when you raised the beard, is that right? No, no. The no. funny thing happened to me while I was down in Atlanta. What's that? I went down by the big place down there that's got the big high fence, you know, the mm -hmm. little thing. And uh, I borrowed somebody's movie camera. And I was having a ball. I was just bzz, taking pictures all the way around. Up walked some great big broad-shouldered guy with all guns all over him and stuff. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm taking pictures. He said, uh, you are? That's a pretty catchy thing to say. <laughs> yeah, he really come back with that and quick. And uh, he said, let me see your camera. Uh -huh. And... Uh, he took it away from me. And he opened it. Yeah. And exposed that the... That blamed idiot began to strain the film out. Just like that, just pulling it out and said, well, you got some pretty good pictures. <laughs> they like, you know, and he got the whole roll. I found out it was against the law. Right smack? Just smack. I got tired of that fellow. <laughs> Tell me what. So I went to Atlanta, worked there for a year, and then went back to Knoxville, Tennessee... And then I felt the hot breath of the draft oh. on the back of my neck. It's a contradiction of terms, but it puts over the story. Mm -hmm. I enlisted. Oh. What were you in? Air Force. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was in there and, uh, in the airships for four years. Uh -huh. And uh, then I was discharged. Uh -huh. And then I went out to San Bernardino. Have friends out here? Hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
I'm getting awful dull. Go ahead and ask me something else. No, this program is like that. <laughs> it goes out. Uh, I goes... went out to San Bernardino, but I married a San Bernardino girl. What's her name? Betty. Well, what's your last name, Ernie? Ford. Ford. Hmm. Ford. I guess her name is Betty Ford, then. It is now. What was it before? C. Ah, <laughs> uh, Hemminger. Hemminger. Yeah, Hemminger. Oh. Well, it's spelled with an E. You'd call it Hemminger, all right. Hem no, I wasn't... Uh, you I getting think... tired? <laughs> I'll tell you, ever since I started doing this afternoon show... <laughs> hey, tell us about your afternoon show after I get through telling all about me, will you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Um... Uh, so, I got married. <laughs> That's about all. Hey, uh, you're working at uh, KXLA now, aren't you, too? Pasadena, yeah. Uh, how's Alex doing out there? Fine, just fine. That's good. Good boy. He is a good boy. Right. That's it. That's fine. <laughs> what time's your show on, Ernie? Nine to ten every morning. Uh, that's uh, the nine to ten. Is, uh, got a record. Oh, you play records? Mm-hmm. You're a Western disc jockey. That's right. And, uh... Little this and that, and work with hometown jamboree, Clippy Stone. Mm -hmm. Well, that's pretty good. You folks got anything you'd like to ask uh, uh, Tennessee Ernie here? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was quick. Thank you, Jimmy Wakeley. <laughs> Ernie, uh, one thing I'd like to ask you to do. What's that? Boy, you sounded real vicious on that record. Go that, make that noise for me there like you did on the thing there. Hey. Hee -oh, whatever. You, you mean holler at the mule? Yeah, holler at the mules. Holler at the mule. <laughs> yeah. I'm to get in the mood. <laughs> I ain't got no whoop. I can get a couple of jackasses for you. You two people in the front row, stuff. <laughs> two of you stand up out there, will you? Right. You want to put all this microphone cord in your hand there? Yeah, that's right. You can that swing way. that out and. Get up there! It sure is. I used to do that, you know. Just that? <laughs> well, there was mules there, too. Oh, I see. So I meant to ask you, can you say mule? The way you do it? <laughs> Mule. My granny, he just about there. Well, a lot of people say, can you say mule? And I say mule. I say, no, say mule. And I say mule. The fools. <laughs> the idiots. I ask somebody if they, they can say grass, and they'll say grass. I said, say grass. And they say grass. That's a lot of grass. <laughs> That's the difference. In but you need it if you got a lot. I have a lot of fun out of that. Yeah, grass. No, no. grass. 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 Oh. Well, don't let it uh, confuse you. It means the same thing. Maybe it doesn't. I mean, out here they call it grass. Maybe in, in Ernie, I mean in Tennessee, it's... Uh, it's grass. You can't afford Wheaties? Grass. How's that? Grass. Grass. You give me the original way again. Grass. That's in Webster. Now, give me it your way. Grass. No, I mean, no, give me it the other way then. Grass. <laughs> but uh, they're like the same thing. You say, where are you going? They say, I'm going to the dance. Dance? But uh, they mean they're going to the dance. 
grass, grease. Grass dance. Grass dance. <laughs> and so we leave the island of Hawaii, <laughs> where the grass dancers. Uh, <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun down here. <laughs> <laughs> You are, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I am, too. I don't know... I've what heard it. you a lot of times. I've been on a lot of times. How many times you heard me? Not as many times you've been on. <laughs> Who has? He who's? <laughs> oh, his. I, don't, uh, I was in there listening a minute ago. Uh, you were out here a minute ago. I got news for you. Am I jabbering too much? No, but I was just calling you the short there. I mean, oh. I was short. <laughs> <laughs> no, what were you doing? I was listening to you play the piano a minute ago. You sure can play. Yeah. <laughs> you sure. can. I mean it. You do, huh? Yeah. We'll get sore. Well, I'm not sore, but I mean, I like the way you play the piano. Well, that's nice. I'll play something for you after the show, all right? All right. How long have you been playing the piano? Oh, about five minutes, I guess. <laughs> oh, you mean in, in the long run? Well, yeah. Well, about ten minutes. <laughs> No, well, I, I, that made, you said a while ago, you, I've got a joke. <laughs> yeah, set it up and tell it. Well, let's see, it goes, uh, that's an old joke, let's don't tell it. But you, you know, told one, I thought I'd tell one. Go ahead. Can I? I? Oh, you must now, you're leaving us up i got a brother that, oh, this is awful. No, <laughs> i got to hear it. <laughs> he, uh, he got, oh, he got, <laughs> I got a brother that got killed by a weasel. How could your brother get killed by a weasel? I'll play straight for you. <laughs> that was just the thing you ought to have said, too. I know. I wrote the joke. Go ahead. <laughs> How could Listen you... to the Milton Berle show. Uh, <laughs> I got a brother that got killed by a weasel. Don't be silly, Ernie. How could your brother get killed by a weasel? He was on the railroad track and didn't hear the weasel. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ernie, it's sure. I mean, it's sure. It's sheer. It's Shire. Anything sure. left? It sure was nice of you to... <laughs> sure, that's what you do to sheep. After you dip them. I don't dip no sheep. Do you have the sorriest batch of sheep as anybody in Southern California if you don't dip them. <laughs> I wouldn't dip them or dupe them or do anything to them. Didn't you ever see them dip sheep? The only thing I ever dip is a donut. That's dumb. <laughs> Well, then I'll dunk a sheep. Well, you don't dunk sheep. You dip sheep and dunk donuts. <laughs> well, and... You know why you dip sheep? It's not the same reason you dunk donuts. Oh, it's a matter of taste, I suppose. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, a dip sheep don't taste good. <laughs> it all depends on what you dip it in. <laughs> yeah. You dip it in a... Finally said it. <laughs> <laughs> you dip it in a bunch of donuts. This could get into a... I you know why you dip sheep, boop. <coughs> no, why do you ship deep? Er, uh, <laughs> deep sheep. Dip sheep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you see, sheep, sheep eat grass, and, uh... That makes them tired, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it makes them a little tired. And, uh... But Black sheep. Little things in the grass that gets on the tarred sheep... And you got to dip them in the stuff that you don't dunk donuts in to make them... Uh, well, you dip them in that stuff, and it... Uh, what is the stuff? It's called... It's a mixture of battery acid and stump water or something. I don't know. 
Oh, yeah, I've had that. It's Postum, I think. It's, uh... And they run them down a little old ladder, and they fall into the stuff, and they swim up the other end, and they climb out, and they're pure again. Or something. I don't know. I'll be darned. And then you got to share them. Oh, sure. That gets back to what you said. You... And I wish I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> Is Is anybody taking this down? Well, bring it up. (laughs) That's pretty good. Learning? Hmm? Excuse me. He has a powerful set of whiskers there. (laughs) Here? I want to thank you for... I'll butt in as much as I can. Well, go ahead and thank me. I want... I... What's the matter? Smokey and... uh, I want to thank you for playing my record. Well, I want to thank you for making the record so I can play it. Well, now what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to go out and make another record. Because i got to get lots of thanks, you know. It's a pretty thankless job here. And to congratulate you on a very fine radio show. Well, there's people like you who help make it fine, if it is, Ernie. Well, thank you. A good bunch of people, because it's late, too, lots of them. Yeah. That, that's fine. That's good. Well, these, uh, some of these people, there's fungus on them. <laughs> the fellow room's here. He's here every night. This fella? Yeah. He's here every night. His eyes bugging out for some reason. What's my... I don't know. That's bug eyes there. That's bug eyes? Yeah. Hmm. He's going to be featured in Dick Tracy's. Does he always <laughs> sit there? No, sometimes he sits there. But... Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you all, does he sit there all the time? Yeah. You mean he's here every Tuesday? Hmm? Yeah, he's in here quite often. He is. Mm. He's a writer for Burl. He has a little pencil there and a bottle full of sheep dip, and he just... <laughs> sheep dip. Transcribing the notes. Well, Ernie, I want to thank you for moseying in to the old corral tonight. Well, yeah. <laughs> because it sure was uh, arty of you or something to come sure in. Sure was fought. I don't know. I was a little confused. Well, I was just tickled to death to know that I'd get to come down here and see you. <laughs> Who tickled you? <laughs> Alex Cooper? Alex Cooper. Pick up a... What does he pick up? Pick up a... All right. So you listen to Alex Cooper. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Sure quiet in here, ain't it? Well, sir, as the sun slowly sling... <laughs> slowly... <laughs> Ernie, I want to thank you very much for moseying into the old crowd tonight. For the third time, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been here three times now, you know. I've moseyed all over this place, ain't I? You're the moseyest son of a gun that I ever moseyed the mosey with. Well, Ernie? <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Stay. Stay right there. Stay there. You add something to this show. I don't know. Well, it's time to step down into the sheep dip. I mean, into the into the snake pit now. You want and me to the... stay right here? Yeah. I figure that's the safest place for you. Well, all no, right. That's, that's as good as any. You know how good any is. Where are you going? Oh, I was just going back here for a little way. <laughs> Wait a minute. I got all twisted around the curtain. There's be a nice song title, wouldn't it? Twisted around the curtain. <laughs> There's a woman here 
<laughs> and then there's a woman over here. There's a couple of women in the back. There aren't very many women here tonight, but there's one here and her dress caught my eye. That's the one that's bleeding here, you see. It's the points on the collars. What would you call that? Remembering, of course, that this program goes into the home. I guess it's bright turquoise satin. Uh, and how long have you been sitting in it? Or, I mean, how long has it been satin? Well, I sat at the opera for about four hours. Well, that's fine. Thank you for kicking it around with me there. That's bright turquoise blue, huh? I guess. You guess. What, what do they call this when Esther Williams wears that shade? Isn't there another name for it? Uh, MGM Aqua or something like that. It's uh, some other shade they have for it. Anyway, it's, it's a... It's a bright, vibrant... I've got to put this in my pocket here. Uh, it's a sort of a shocking blue, an electric blue. It looks very much like Esther... The water that Esther Williams swims in, that's what this looks like. Uh-huh. you got to dry that off, you know. Where did you buy that? Uh, I bought the material at um, the Broadway. You made this yourself? No. <laughs> oh. What happened between the time you bought the material and uh, it was made? My aunt made it. And where were you at the time? That she made it? <laughs> no. <laughs> the time the Tennessee Ernie cut a mule train. I was right here. Well, that's fine. Who's this gentleman? My husband. Well, that's good. And what's your name? Parker, Kenneth Parker. Parker Kenneth Parker. That's a very odd name. This is Mrs. Parker Kenneth Parker? What's your first name, dear? Mine's Adeline. Adeline, that's a cute name. Well, it's nice to meet you folks tonight, and thanks for coming in. Now then, we have three young ladies here, and what do you girls constitute? A canasta team or what? <laughs> oh, really? What's your name? Helen Upper. Helen what? Upper. Upper. You work for Dr. Cowan, do you? Or... <laughs> Come, come, my dear. I want you to tell me your hopes, <laughs> your dreams, your telephone number. What do you do, Miss Upper? I go to UCLA. Mm-hmm. What are you planning on? Being a Spanish teacher. And how many Spaniards do you want to teach? <laughs> what do you want to teach them, by the way? Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get you nowhere. Who are you? If you say you're lower, I'll kill you. I'm Dorothy Upper, her sister. You're Dorothy Upper. Well, let's put you on the spot, you know, from the standpoint of timing. Who are you now, the third girl? Marguerite Rogers. Marguerite Rogers. That's fine, Marguerite. Thanks for breaking it up. You three girls are old friends? Yes. Which of you is the oldest? I mean, which of you... What does that mean? Well, it's nice to have you here tonight. Now, why are you here? That's the best reason I know of. I wish everybody came in to do that, and it's very nice to meet you. Well, look who's here, ladies and gentlemen. Another fellow all by himself. <laughs> no, this is the one and only Cliffy Stone. Yes, sir. There he is. Who's that? Who's that? That's Cliffy Stone. Who do you think? Do I know that? Favorite the... personality, Tom Hanlon. Isn't that Tom Hanlon? No, that's Fatty Arbuckle. <laughs> Tom, is Tom in there? No, he isn't here tonight. Well, I'll, this is a picture of an old Hal Roach, our gang. 1928. That may be Tom. Yeah, it I'll check. It's, it is nice looking, isn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Woo, bye. Uh, <laughs> Cliffy, you're connected right now out with KXLA, too, and you're also doing lots of other things. You run barn dances, don't you? Yes, sir. That's right, Steve. Where are they uh, being staged right now? Well, we got a little thing out at Almighty on Saturday nights. Is it very hard? I mean, uh, speaking from the standpoint of a structural engineer, is it very hard to make a barn dance? 
<laughs> well, no, not unless, uh, if you've got a maybe 15 or 1,600 people in it, it'll generally jump. <laughs> I guess that's right, and thanks for coming up with a very intelligent answer to a very stupid question. <laughs> Cliffy, it's nice to have you here tonight. You and Ernie came in together, I guess, didn't you? Well, he's kind of bashful among crowds, so I brought him over. He doesn't like to talk or anything. <laughs> oh, dear, what am I laughing at? Who are you? I'm Bob Rogers. Oh, yes, you're the gentleman uh, with the Mammoth Cave, I mean, who came in from Kentucky, that's right. Well, how recently did you go through Mammoth Cave, Bob? Uh, Steve, that was about three years ago. Mm-hmm, and who's this gentleman with you? I don't have the vaguest idea. I see, and how long has it been since you creep out of the cave? <laughs> I didn't creep. You didn't creep. You sprung. Ah, you sprung, you. What do you do, sir? Oh, I'm starting to be an actor. An actor? And, uh... <coughs> Who is that? What's your name, in case your mother's listening? Tom. Tom. <laughs> You're the Piper's son, are you? Or, or Hanlon's son, or Edmondson, or something? Who are you, sir? Wheaton Chambers. Wheaton Chambers. Make up your mind. <laughs> you can't be both, you know. You're going to be Wheat, or you're going to be Chambers. Well, I happen to have two family names all together. Well, if you can afford two families, it's perfectly all right. I tried it last year. They put me in. Look, uh, what do you do, Mr. Chambers? Uh, I'm an actor. Gee, the place is empty tonight, isn't it? <laughs> what do you do? I mean, uh... <laughs> Miss Upper. <laughs> Which joke are you working on? <laughs> we passed it up long ago. We passed it long ago. I see. Well, I'll explain it to you after the show. <laughs> What are you acting at? You look very familiar, Mr. Chambers. Do you work in pictures? Uh, yes. Matter of fact, this reason why I'm here, we're rather late on the Baron of Arizona that just started. Oh, yes. Now that it did, comes back to me. I've seen your face on the screen many a time. Would you like to stand up so all the tourists from Iowa can get a peek at you and say they've seen a movie actor? This is Mr. Wheaton Chambers from Iowa. I mean, from uh, Arizona. How is the Baron these days? Well, it just started. We had a very nice long session, but I think it's going to be a wonderful picture. I've heard a great deal of talk about it. And I wish you lots of, luck in the, lots of luck in the world. That's an intelligent thing to say. Who are you? Nettie. And who are you? Nettie? <laughs> Nettie and Nettie, the jugglers. What do you do, sir? Uh, studio mechanic. Studio mechanic. One of the picture studios? Mm-hmm. Which one? Columbia. Columbia. What's the current production over there you're working on? I don't know. I just built sets. Oh, you just build sets. You never go see the pictures. I was sitting, I, I'll never forget, I was sitting behind a guy. Remember the picture, Tokyo, Tokyo Joe? With, with, oh, you worked on that. You weren't behind me that year. <laughs> Van Johnson was in that picture. Remember this big scene? Or, no, I'm thinking 30 seconds over Tokyo. I'm sorry. Anyway, you know, the, the big finale thing. They have this bombing of Tokyo. It was done with a, a wonderful set. I mean, miniatures with the things going off. The kid who built that was sitting behind me. I didn't enjoy the picture. He kept saying, he kept saying, now watch when it flies over this little building here. Boom, it's going. Watch this flash powder now as he comes around the river. All through the picture. I, my, it turned my stomach. I walked on. But then my stomach is a little awkward anyway. However, it's nice to talk to you, Joe. Er, I mean, your name again? Uh, Bert. Bert. Bert who? Noss. Bert Nott. Noss. Bert Noss. Burnt moss. Uh, burnt moose, huh? Noss, N-A-U-S. Oh, N-A-U-S. And that's a fine organization. Uh -huh. Everybody should belong to the N-A-U-S. Your name and serial number, please. Gene Redlin. Jim Reynolds? Gene. Gene. Your name. I mean, <laughs> what about it? Or, I mean, what do you do? 
I build radio antennas. <laughs> sort of a lazy man's job, isn't it? I mean, what can you build about a radio antenna? It's just a big pole goes up in the air. What do you do? Put the little knob on the end or something? I manufacture them for Master Mobile. For Master who? Mobile. Master Mobile. Who is he? Some uh, tycoon? That's my boss. Sounds like a character in Dick Tracy. Here comes Master Mobile. <laughs> who are you, sir? Johnny Green. Johnny, I've enjoyed your music for... Oh, you're not the... Which Johnny are you? No, that's not the one. <laughs> I want you to come out in front of the building and step out of a store window for me. No, you couldn't be that Johnny either. What do you do, Mr. Green? I'm a tool maker. Uh-huh. What uh, tools do you ordinarily make, sir? Oh, mostly automatic dies. Sheet metal work. Mm-hmm. For what firm are you uh, with? <laughs> what firm are you with? What firm do you work for? O'Keefe and Merritt Stove Works. Oh, yeah. Well, you just keep tapping away there, and you'll be all right. That's a little joke in the stove industry for people who have little stoves. Howdy, Tex. <laughs> Boy, did I surprise him. You got to stop working on your income tax. What is your name, sir? Townsend. Yeah? What do you do, Townsend? Studio driver, MGM. Studio driver. Uh-huh. How many studios do you drive on the average uh, day? They drive me. Crazy? What? Huh? What? <laughs> it's good timing, huh? What? Mm-mm-mm. You dri- Oh, it's time to get off the big fat air. Isn't that awful? Oh, dear. Howdy. Howdy yourself, dear. It's nice to talk to you. Well, it's uh, time to crawl back into this big box with the hubcaps in it and go away. How'd you do there, Ernie? <laughs> I, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm a little tired myself. Just while I want to get one little mention here for all the people who've been writing in the last couple of years and saying, wish I could come down and see your program, but I can't because it's on too late and they lock the gate after 11 o'clock. The thing is on in the afternoon now at 2.15, about the same general idea. And for this afternoon program, you need tickets, but there's always a no-ticket line. You can get in, I promise you. If things get bad, I'll begin warning you. Right now, you can get in without tickets if you want to. You can also get out without tickets. Ernie, I'd like to thank you an awful lot and wish your particular recording of Mule Train all the luck in the world. Thank you, Steve. And I want to thank you for helping out with the show tonight. You were a big help indeed. You people will realize, too. Give yourselves a great big hand, huh? That's all we have for you tonight. Have yourself a real good night's sleep. Now, I'll need you tomorrow night about the same time. This is Steve Allen saying we played a record the whole thing here in the Square. Information, please. Presented each week at this time by Canada Dry, famous the world over for its fine beverages. Wake up, America. Time to stump the experts and enjoy a glass of refreshing Canada Dry ginger ale. Every week at this time, Canada Dry sets up a board of four experts for you to aim your stumpers at. If you manage to hit the bullseye with a question they cannot answer, you ought to feel pretty good. Here's the way it goes. You may submit from one to three questions with the correct answers. For every question we use, whether or not it's answered correctly, the sender gets $5. And if your question stumps our board of experts, you not only get $10 more, but in addition, you receive a complete 24-volume set of the current Encyclopedia Britannica. Mind you, this is only if your question stumps the board of experts. Our editorial staff may reword your question a trifle. Don't worry about it. Whenever there is a duplication of questions, Information Please uses the one that was submitted first. All questions become the property of Information Please and should be addressed to Canada Dry, 1 Pershing Square, New York City. Or if you live in Canada, Canada Dry, Toronto. And now may I present our Master of Ceremonies, Mr. Clifton Fadiman, literary critic of the New Yorker magazine. Mr. Fadiman. (laughs) 
ladies and gentlemen. Information, please, continues on its merry, spontaneous, and completely unrehearsed way. Tonight, we have at our mercy our three regulars. John Kieran, the sports authority, seems to remember everything he's ever read, seen, or heard. Franklin P. Adams, the conductor of the Conning Tower in the New York Post, has just about the same kind of memory. And Oscar Levant, the famous pianist and composer, keeps on startling us each week with his phenomenal musical knowledge and talent, with a good deal of general information thrown in. As our guest, we are delighted to welcome that distinguished British character actor of stage and screen, Sir Cedric Hardwick, who opens on the 28th of this month in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. To our listeners, we say, remember, for each question that's missed, Canada Dry rings up $10, and that's paid out to the sender, plus 24 volumes of the latest edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Gentlemen, we're off with a question coming to us from John Thomas of this city. Now, suppose you were to go to a travel bureau and you were to recite the following lines from well-known songs and poems. Where would the ticket agent infer that you wished to go? Now, we have to uh, get uh, three out of four on this. The first is the line, This precious stone set in the silver sea. Sir Cedric and Mr. Kieran. Sir Cedric. England. England. Uh, what is the line from? It's from Richard II, speech by John of Gaunt. Yes, and it refers, of course, to Sir Cedric's home country, this precious stone set in the silver sea. Now, suppose you recited these, this simple phrase, far, far away. Where would the ticket agent infer you wish to go? Mr. Adams, they all have their hands up. Mr. Adams? Swanee River. Yes, which would be in what state, by the way, Mr. Adams? It might be in Florida. Yes, it is in Florida, though I think part of it is in the state just north of Georgia. Florida. Georgia, that's right. Now, suppose uh, you recited these lines. Elephants of pile and teak in the sludgy, squudgy creek. Mr. Kieran had his hand up. India. I think not quite. On the road to Mandalay. On the road to Mandalay. I think probably in Burma. Isn't, well, uh, isn't, isn't it a Burma girl or setting somewhere there, Mr. Well, Kieran? Well, it's not in Pennsylvania. No, Burma is not in Pennsylvania. <laughs> quite right. So, Cedric, is Burma considered part of India? Um, you don't have to answer the question. In a very general way, I would say. Well, uh, actually, if you read the poem, which is... Of course, Kipling's famous Road to Mandalay. There's a, Burma. That... There's a Burma girl a set. Yes, and uh, it, she's probably home, setting home, Mr. Kieran. Uh, the answer east of Suez, Mr. Kieran, I guess would be just as good, though somewhat vaguer. Elephants of pile and teak in the sludgy, squudgy creek where the silence sung that ever you was half afraid to speak and so forth. Well, we've got three out of three so far. How about this one, which is the last? Where the fellas chew tobacco and the women wicky-wacky-woo. Mr. Levant. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, I can't uh, hear a word so far, Mr. Nagasaki. Nagasaki is right. It's a... Uh... <laughs> By Harry Warren. I know that. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the lines in which... Uh... Yeah. Well, the, well, the tobacco, wacky. Hot Nagasaki. dynamite. There's nothing but that at night back in Nagasaki where the fellas chew tobacco and the women wicky, wacky, 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 wacky woo. Yeah. Uh, how far back is that song, Mr. Levant? No more than ten. That's why ten Mr. Years. Adams didn't get it. No more than ten years. Well, where are you going to get it, Mr. Adams? Never heard of it. Never heard of it? Well, that's a little too esoteric. Something for, for you to add to your repertory, Mr. Adams. Four out of four. Don't believe it yet. A bewildered <laughs> uh, The next question comes to us from the co-author of that charming play, Life with Father, now running on Broadway, Mr. Russell Krauss of this city. Mr. Krauss uh, wants you gentlemen to name... Five well-known women who have the same first names as the Quints, the famous Canadian quintuplets. Now, all you have to do is to remember what those five names are, 
and give me the names of five well-known women, living or dead. I can name a boy named Dion. That's nice. Let's Dion Busico. That. Oh, Dizzy Dion will do just as well, <laughs> Mr. LeBac. Uh, no, I, I want women. I want women. I don't remember their names. They're the Dion Quintuplets. Now, you can work together on this, gentlemen. There are only five of them. Uh, Mr. Levant, first? Annette is one of the names. Annette is one of them. Let's have uh, another famous Annette. Uh, I know a singer named Annette Henshaw. I don't know how famous she is. I don't know. She seems famous from this moment on. Mr. Cedric. Annette Killerman. Annette Killerman, yes. Uh, uh, Mr. Kieran. Is uh, one of the Quinns named uh, Yvonne? Yep. Yvonne Plantin. Yvonne Plantin. Who is Yvonne Plantin? French actress, the wife of Sasha Guitry the Younger, I believe. No more. She's the wife of Pierre Frenet. Well, I can't keep up with them. No, Mr. LeVant knows that sort of thing, Mr. Kieran. You ought to be careful when uh, uh, you're trying to figure out who is married to whom. Mr. LeVant? Cécile Sorel, a very great French actress of the Comédie... Will you help me Comédie out? Comédie Française. Comédie Française, yes. Very good. Cécile, that gives us two more. Uh, the other two Quins, we've had Cécile, Annette, and Yvonne. I'm sure that practically everyone listening in can repeat the five names right off the reel, but these distinguished big brains uh, seem stumped. Uh, give me the initial of one of the names. Oh, I hate to do that, Mr. Huh? Levant. You're just coaxing me. Alexander Walker isn't one of them, is it? No, no. <laughs> I think he's applied for admission. Emil or a All something. right, all right, Mr. Levant, you've got it practically. Emil is the name of a man. Now, well, give me the woman. feminine. Well, what is the feminine? M- Mr. Sir Cedric Harvey. Sir Cedric? Emily. Emily, yes, and you can give me Emily a Post. give Bronte. me the English the English equivalent. Emily right? Post, my tutor. <laughs> Emily Bronte. Emily Bronte. Post. Emily Post, yes, that'll You're do. Your own successful Cedric. tutor. <laughs> <laughs> that was Mr. Adams being friendly to Mr. Levant. Uh, Sir Cedric, what were you, you were going to name? Uh... Emily Bronte. Yes, Emily Bronte. A little uh, more in the classic line. Not a right Bronte, name, just the same. Emily Bronte, that was a right name. Bronte was not a right name. Yes, it was. Yes, she was born a Bronte. Practically everybody in England at that time was born a Bronte. You know, all the sisters were named You're Bronte. You're going to get letters about this. Now we have, no. <laughs> Emily Bronte is right. Now we've got four of the Quins. We have to get five out of five. I'm sorry, gentlemen. The fifth and last Quinn, and if they're listening, I hope you don't feel that uh, we're being unfair to you, Marie, is Marie. Marie, and a famous Marie would be... Marie... Mr. Adams? Dressler. Yes, Marie Dressler, Marie Curie... Uh, Marie Antoinette. I'm Sweet sorry, Mary. gentlemen. That uh, loses us $10, courtesy of Canada Dry, going out to Mr. Krauss. Now, the next question, coming to us from Chestnut Hill, Pennsylvania, and thought up by Mr. Francis Rue Steele, is a musical question. The studio pianist is going to play three melodies from orchestral works which are carried by solo instruments. I want you to identify the work and the solo instrument that carries the melody. Is that perfectly clear? No, I don't know what carry means. Carry me what? All right, go ahead. You know, you know, just, uh... Go ahead. the burden of the melody, as it were. A pseudo-pianist will play the first. Does it occur to you, Mr. Levant? Yeah, I think there's a very famous ostinato figure in that. Way over my head already. That's in a pastoral symphony. Uh, what number? Uh, Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Number? Number six, oh, Pastoral right. Symphony. Right. I've got to pin you down. And uh, what uh, solo instrument carries the melody? It sounds like an oboe. It is the oboe, indeed. But there's a very famous accompaniment by the bassoon. It goes, yum, bomb, bomb. Is that right, Joe? Yeah, that's, that that's ostinato's it. quite famous. And what, uh, what more <laughs> popular melody seems to resemble that one, Mr. Levant? 
Mr. Kieran? Oh, where, oh, where is my little dog gone? Yes, that's right. It resembles the melody, but it's not quite the same, I believe. Now, shall we have the second? <laughs> that's up Mr. Kieran and Mr. Adams' department. I think you don't like the music, Mr. LeBan. Uh, Sir Cedric, did you have Samson your hand up? No. no, no, I'm sorry. That's almost totally wrong. Let him play it again. I think the three of us can manage. Four of us can manage. All right, get your heads together. It's either William Tell or the other thing that bothers me, poet and peasant. Well, yes, uh, make up your mind, Mr. LeVan. Mm-hmm. They're the same thing to me. I never can get them straight. You uh, know that, would you like to, Mr. Kieran? Which I is think it? it must be poet and peasant because I don't know it. <laughs> and I know Wilhelm Tell. Poet and peasant is quite right. One super is poet and peasant. And the, and the melody, Mr. LeVan, is carried... By what instrument? Well, I don't know. I'll guess. Is it a clarinet? No, it's a cello. Cello. I'm sorry. I should say I don't know. Uh, it's a cello. That was a good guess. The third and last of these melodies. Now that I know. I know that, Mr. Levant? Yeah. It's yeah. a very famous and wonderful prelude to the fourth moment of the Brahms C minor symphony, number one. That's quite French right. French horn. The French horn. You knew that right off the bat. Well, I even good. used that in the moving picture once. In the... Uh, President vanishes. I don't know why. I bet you would have remembered it even if you'd never seen the motion That's picture. That's a remarkable I know you owe a great deal to motion pictures, Mr. Levant. I like Brahms uh, better. two out of three. We were supposed to get all on that. That means that courtesy of Canada Dry, Mr. Steele will get the sum of $10 on an encyclopedia. Now, gentlemen, the next question comes to us from Ethel Starr Stockton of Corpus Christi, Texas. Name three novels or plays in which there are no female characters. Name three novels or plays in which there are no female characters. So, Cedric. Journey's End. Journey's End by R.C. Sheriff would be one, yes. Uh, Mr. Levant. Not the women. Wait a minute. Uh, don't get your sex. How about the seven that were hanged? I I never read it and don't know. Yes, by Andrea. In case we're wrong, we'll get those letters. Uh, I have a feeling that there... I'm not sure, but it seems to me there were some female characters in that novel. It was awful short and they were... Seven had to be killed. I don't think there were. I think there were probably just time. time, Just time, maybe, for one or two of the ladies. Mr. Adams? The Emperor Jones and Beyond the Horizon. The Emperor Jones. Emperor, Emperor Jones. Jones, certainly. Uh, yes, I think that's quite right, Mr. Adams. And how? what was the other one? Beyond the Horizon? No, that's, that's no, quite that, wrong. No, that isn't it. No, take that back. Do you mind? I, I take that back. No, we Don't have need two. It. We have two. Mr. Kieran, I can think of a, of a very well-known play in which there are no female characters. Right up your alley, too. This is going to be a joke. You know me, Al? No, take it to Evers to Chance. Isn't that a well-known play? In which yes, there's no very character? good. Very good. Uh, let's have another one. Mr. Well, Mr. Levant. I'm going to guess. Maybe John can correct me. Is The Maelstrom by Edgar Allan Poe? It's not a novel or play. There are no female characters. Well, in it, it bored me, and I read it. What just is a it? man in a whirlpool. I don't think I'll accept it, Mr. Levant. Mr. Kieran. Well, there's a very famous uh, novel that everybody knows uh, in which a woman is mentioned or appears slightly, but it has nothing to do with the story. That's Treasure Island. Uh, I think, isn't there uh, the mother of Jim Hawkins? She just mentioned it. Just, but I do think she appears. I know the author of a play, but uh, I don't remember the play. The play by Rudolf Bézier. Oh, what one is it? I can't remember the name of it. Right? He's the author of the play. Didn't he write the Barretts? No. He wrote the Barretts. Yeah, he did write the Barretts of Wimpole Street, but surely there's a woman in that. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry not to be able to help you, Sir Cedric. I don't know the name of the play. Well, there are two novels by Joseph Conrad that have no female characters, The Nigger of the Narcissus and Typhoon. And there's a uh, famous novel by John Maysfield. Perhaps some of you may know it. Bird of Dawning. That's right, Sir Cedric. That gives us three, and we were required to get only three. The next question comes from Louise Mullins of West Medford, Massachusetts. Well, you have to go back uh, quite a little way to remember the answers to this question, gentlemen. 
what plays are associated with the following well-known phrases. There are four of them, and we have to get three out of four. First phrase is, nobody loves a fat man, which you surely must have heard. Uh, Mr. Adams. Uh, the play that Macklin Arbuckle was in. Absolutely right. About what date, would you say? I'm going to corkscrew this out of you, Mr. Adams. About 1908. Very good, 1907. And what was the play called? Can't remember. Well, it's a tough one. I think you're doing very well to remember Macklin Arbuckle, who in the play wore white pants and, while rolling a cigarette in one hand, uh, sat on a table on soliloquies, saying nobody loves a fat man, in the play called The Roundup by Edmund Bay, I believe. Is that right, Mr. Adams? That's right. Play Does it come Broadway back to you now? Suppose I give you 50% on that. Is that all right with you? Oh, that's dandy. And you don't have to stay after school either. Now, the next phrase is Hawkshaw the Detective. Ooh. Hawkshaw, Sir Cedric. Take it or leave, man. Take it or leave, man. That's quite right. Do, do you remember it, Sir Cedric? Remember having seen it? Yeah, I saw it when I was very young. Very, very young. Uh, Hawkshaw announces himself as he snatches off his disguises. Do you remember at various points in the play announcing Hawkshaw the Detective? Who played the part? Possibly I think that? Edmund Willard played it in England. Now, he may have. Uh, I have down here Tom Taylor. Would that mean anything to you, Sir Cedric? Well, he, he wasn't an English actor. I saw it no. in England. quite right. That gives us one absolutely correct and 50% on the first. Here is the third phrase. My best friend and severest critic. Mr. Levant. Well, either one of two plays of Kaufman and Connolly's. I don't know which one. It either could be Dulcie or Merton. I don't know. Mr. Mr. Adams ought to Levant. Which do you think, Mr. Adams? I think it's Merton. It was a play by Harry Leon Wilson. Uh, no, yeah. the novel was by Harry Leon Wilson. The, the play, the play the as Mr. Levant says. was Merton of the Movies. Merton of the Movies. Uh, I think, Mr. Levant, you had just said that it was Merton of the Movies, so you both get full credit for that. I only right. want a few percent. They're all right. Suppose we give you 50 percent. That gives us two out of three so far. And the last phrase is... Kiss me, my fool. Kiss me, my fool. Give me it all. I want to hear the whole thing. You like that? That's all I know. I think. Uh, it exhausts me to say that much, Mr. Levant. Mr. Adams. I think that it was a play called A Fool There Was by Porter Emerson Brown. That's absolutely right. About what date, Mr. Adams? About Theodore Barra's date. She was in Well, I don't know how far... Uh, 1909. Seems a long time ago. Well, we got three and a half out of four on that, gentlemen. Good enough. That means that, uh, let's see... The, that vacant expression has dimmed the bright little faces of our experts uh, twice, meaning that Canada Dry has had to pay out $20 and two sets of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, Mr. Cross, can you fill this recess period with something brilliant? Indeed I can, Mr. Fadiman, because once again I'm going to use our helpful friend William Shakespeare as a springboard. In Henry V, he writes, "'Tis ever common that men are merriest when they are from home." That observation made three and a half centuries ago is just as true today as it was then. Especially during this holiday season, our men and women merriest when they are from home. And they're from home a great deal because parties are the order of the day. Parties in the office, in restaurants, clubs and hotels, and of course in other people's homes. And wherever laughter and pleasant conversation are heard, the chances are you'll find Canada Dry ginger ale and sparkling water playing an important role in the festivities. For Canada Dry is a delicious ginger ale, and Canada Dry water is a perfect club soda. Together, these two famous refreshers contribute greatly to the joy of the occasion. So, for merriment's sake, be well stocked with sparkling Canada Dry water, the perfect club soda, and Canada Dry, the champagne of ginger ales. And, Mr. Cross, your interesting little party took place in exactly 65 seconds. 
We'll go on with a question coming to us from Josephine Johnson of Provincetown, Massachusetts. From where had these travelers come, and to what places were they going? First, the two grenadiers. We have to get three out of four on this, gentlemen. The two grenadiers. It's a song. Mr. Levant. Schumann set the song. That's yes, good wrote, enough for me. Who wrote the poem, Mr. Levant? Is it uh, G-O-E-T-A? No. No, no. Well, it's H-E-I-N-E, which is even easier to pronounce. China, really? Heinrich Heine. Is that right? Uh, the famous poem called The Two Grenadiers, but we haven't answered the question, Mr. Levant. Mr. Mr. Adams. Adams? They were coming from over the Rhine and they went to France. They were coming from the Rhine and going to France? Mm-hmm. No, that's wrong in every particular, Mr. Adams. Well, maybe it was vice versa. Oh, yeah, it's practically vice versa. No, they were coming back from Russia. And they were going to France. Well, I guess it's a couple of other grenadiers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the lines, in a very bad English translation, if I may say so, <coughs> are, to France were returning two grenadiers. In Russia, they both had been taken. So they were coming back from Russia, I guess, during the retreat from Moscow to France. Famous poem by Heinrich Heine, formerly known as a German poet. Uh, from uh, where had uh, this traveler come, and to what place was he going? Passepartout. Passepartout. P-A-S-S-E-P-A-R-T-O-U-T. Mr. Kieran, my spelling is correct. Spelling is correct and pronunciation is beautiful. But shall we stop now and just uh, abandon this entire program on this high note? What are the initials, please? I don't think he had another name. Passepartout. Must have been a French thief. Uh, Passepartout <laughs> is a character in Jules Verne's 80 Days Around the World. He was Fogg's manservant. And uh, he was going to what place and coming from what place? Arthur Cedric, as a good uh, true-born Englishman, you really should know this. Well, in 80 days around the world, Passepartout left left London to go around the world in 80 days, and, of course, his destination was what? London. London. Yes, as every good Englishman's destination (laughs) is. Very good. That gives us one wrong. The King of France, coming and going. Uh, Mr. Adams. Up and down the hill. Up and down the hill. With what accompaniment, Mr. Adams? Bottom men. How many? I think it may have been uh, 10,000. Oh, 20,000. Be generous, Mr. 20, Adams. 20,000. 20,000 men, yes. 20,000. Those were the days, huh? Yes. The king of France went up the hill with 20,000 men. The king of France came down the hill and there went up again. Nellie and I. Where had Nellie and I come from and where were Nellie and I going? In the gloaming. <clears throat> Was it Nellie in the gloaming, Mr. Levant? No, I don't know. I think you've got your gals mixed up. Mr. Adams. Home. Uh, that's right, yes. Who's home, Mr. Adams? <coughs> Nellie's home. Nellie's home. And where were they coming from? Aunt Dinah's quilting party. Aunt Dinah's <laughs> quilting party is quite correct. That gives us three out of four. Thank you, gentlemen. Question coming from A. Healy of Detroit. This is a question directed at Mr. Levant. The pianist is going to play the right hand of three well-known piano pieces. And Mr. Levant is asked to identify these pieces and supply the left-hand portion of each. Will the studio pianist please refrain from letting uh, Mr. Levant's right hand know what your left hand is doing? Go ahead. Let's have the first of them. I can do the same thing, but that's all. Well, you have to do it with your left hand. Uh, what uh, piece is it, Mr. Levant? I don't know. Uh, it's a tough one. You want me to be frank? Yes, be frank. I don't know. Very good. I'd like to hear you say that twice. It rarely happens and in I'll this be program. Asking. Well, the answer is... It's the Chopin B minor prelude. 
Now that you know that, could you give us the left hand? No, I don't know the preludes. All right. Outside of the one they use in moving pictures. Sorry, we can't oblige That's you. That's the only one I know. Oh, I shall you have the second composition. Got that, Mr. Van? Yeah, the Chopin A-flat waltz. That's right. Now let us have the, have the left-hand portion of it. Master! Thank you, Mr. Levant. Now, if you can get the next one, you can save the $10 for us, Mr. Levant. Uh, let's have the third and last. That's enough. Cut it. The more, the more confusing. Uh, wait a minute. I think it's the Chopin Nocturne. Yes, it's the Chopin Nocturne. Very agitato part. Quite, quite right. That gives us two out of three. Thank you very much, Mr. Levant. (laughs) Farley Wheelwright of this city sends in the following interesting question, which I would be willing to make a small side bet of about a dime that you're going to plop on, gentlemen. Who died and in what sequence in the last scene of Hamlet? Who died and in what sequence in the last scene of Hamlet? Now, this is one of those, uh, this is not one of those four-hour Hamlets of Cedric in which the audience dies at the same time. This is the ordinary, un, the ordinary cut Hamlet, uh, Mr. Kieran. Well, the queen takes the drink, and she gets very, very sick. And I have to think a minute to see whether Hamlet stabs the, uh, uh, the king before that. You see, you're confused already. Uh, well, the queen dies. Uh, do you want to uh, give queen uh, top billing and make her die first, Mr. Kieran? Now, wait a minute. Yes or no? Wait, I talk... Yes or no? Wait, I want to talk Kieran. to Sir Cedric a minute. Oh, he's not allowed to do that. Oh, that's thoroughly dishonest. I think, uh, actually, the king is the first to actually die. Have you ever uh, acted in Hamlet, Sir Cedric? Yes, I have. Many you have. Times. And you never noticed who died in your little play, did you? <laughs> well, so many people die. I was the first one to die always. Oh, uh, yes. Now, you, do you think the king died first? Well, I died as soon as the curtain went Oh, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Sir Cedric, ladies first, you should know that. The queen died first. First the queen. And uh, who died after the queen? Laertes. No, the king, the king. Get your king in, Sir Cedric. The king, uh, how did the king die? The king died because he's run through by Hamlet with his sword. Yes, that's right. Stabbed by Hamlet. And he died a second death, as a matter of fact, because not only was he run through by Hamlet, but he what, Sir Cedric? Drank the poison, too. Drank the poison, too. Making assurance uh, doubly sure. Getting double insurance, so to speak. Mr. Kieran, how about the third death? Third death was Laertes. Third death is Laertes, and the fourth gets kind of easy. Was Hamlet. Uh, the fourth was Hamlet. Well, gentlemen, I don't think you did quite uh, as well as uh, some of you... Might have done no, that. That's disgraceful. Uh, so, Cedric, next time you do play in that little play, will you remember how, how uh, the characters die at the I end? Will. The Queen, the King, Laertes, and Hamlet. I'd like to take five or six seconds off, Sir Cedric, and ask you why it is that uh, gentlemen of your profession always want to play Hamlet. They, they do, don't they? Yes, I think because there's more variety in the part of Hamlet than in any other part. That's it. And it, doesn't it enable them to be on the stage a longer time than practically any other <laughs> Well, Farley Wheelwright, courtesy of Canada Dry, gets $10 instead of the encyclopedia. Thank you. Now, gentlemen, here's one from Richard Richstein of Brooklyn, New York. A maritime question. On the decks of what ships, on the decks of what ships, were the following famous words spoken? There are three sets of them, three of them. The first is, I have not yet begun to fight. A very famous phrase, which we all learn in our American history. You'll admit that, Mr. Kieran? Yes. You admit you should know the answer, yes, Mr. Kieran. Right. You feel pretty bad, Mr. Kieran, don't you? Yes, sir. I think that was uh, 
Mr. Adams? I think that was the Bonhomie Richard. That's quite right. And who said the those immortal words, Mr. Adams? Who captained the Bonhomie Richard? Uh, Mr. Kieran? I think it was a uh, Captain Lawrence. What was it? Don't give up the ship? Uh, no, I, I have not, not yet begun to fight. Wasn't it Lawrence? John Paul Jones. John Paul oh, Jones, yeah. Adams. Mr. Kieran, you really should not have come in he on that. He was fighting one. this uh, Serapis. That's quite right. Uh, and during uh, what war? The Revolutionary War. Yes, the rebellion, as Cedric would call it. The Revolutionary War. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you may fire when ready, Gridley. Mr. Kieran. That was said by Commodore Admiral Dewey on board the flagship Olympia. That's quite right. In the Spanish-American War. Yes, uh, during what battle? It was a battle way out in the Pacific. Battle of Manila, May 1st, 1898. Very good, Mr. Adams. Very good. And the third and last, kiss me, Hardy, Sir Cedric. Lord Nelson of the Victory Battle of Trafalgar. It would have been a pretty bad thing if you didn't know that, Sir Cedric, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, The famous last words of... Lord Nelson on the victory. Hardy, of course, was his flag captain. I'm sorry that we won't have time for any more questions and answers. The bell on our cash register has sounded three times. And that means that the goings-on this evening have cost Canada Dry a total of $30 plus three sets of the current Encyclopedia Britannica. And now, Mr. Milton Cross, will you take over for a moment, and then I'll report on next week's lineup. Now... Whether your holiday plans call for elaborate entertainment or just open house for friends, you can be sure that Canada Dry Ginger Ale and Sparkling Water will be welcome and congenial companions for these festivities. Canada Dry Ginger Ale, with its mellow, flavorful bouquet, is ideal for any occasion, with meals or as afternoon refreshment. For Canada Dry is an aid to digestion, a quick energy builder. In a word, it's gingervating. While sparkling Canada Dry Water, the most popular of all club sodas, adds just the right amount of tangy goodness to your favorite drinks. And its 24-hour sparkle is your assurance their goodness will last on and on. So during this merriest of seasons, let these two fine Canada Dry beverages add gaiety and distinction to your holiday entertainment. Now, here's Mr. Fadiman. Thank you, Mr. Cross. Uh, Sir Cedric, will you accept our thanks and the thanks of Canada Dry for coming down with us and shining so brilliantly this evening? I've enjoyed it very much. I hope you have, and we've enjoyed having you. Next week, uh, our two faithfuls, Mr. John Kieran and Mr. Franklin C. Adams, will be with us, and we'll have two guests. The first has been with us before, and we're very glad indeed to have him back again. The distinguished biographer, author of Benjamin Franklin, distinguished biographer and literary critic, Mr. Carl Van Doren. And as our second guest the charming screen personality, Miss Gloria Stewart. Now, will you remember, those who are listening in, to send your letters with questions and the correct answers to Canada Dry, 1 Pershing Square, New York City. Remember, Canada Dry ginger ale and sparkling water are on sale in convenient sizes at your favorite neighborhood stores. The large family size sells for only 15 cents. The medium size, 12 ounces, three for 25 cents. This is Milton Cross saying goodnight for Canada Dry until next week at this same time. Information, please, has been a Blue Network presentation of the National Broadcasting Company, Radio City, New York. This program is transcribed from its earlier network release. The doggonest thing happened to me the other day. The Opie Kate Show. 
American Broadcasting Company presents The Trials and Errors of Opie Cates, starring the young man of the same name and featuring Francis X. Bushman as Mr. Brown, Opie's boss and the father of his dream girl, Catherine. Not long out of Clinton, Arkansas, Opie is slowly adapting himself to city life. But still, the doggondest things keep right on happening to Opie Cates. Yeah, and I've noticed these things happen to me when I least expect them. For instance, the other evening I'd got through the whole day at the office without once making my boss, Mr. Brown, mad at me. So it looked like one of my good days. But then, on my way home, I was stopped by one of them fellas on the street that want to take your picture. Here you are, Mac. Get your Christmas photos the easy way. Oh, no, thanks. Let go of my coat, Send them to the folks back home. Where you from, Mac? Well, I'm from Clinton, Arkansas. Clinton, Arkansas. Just think of that little old gray-haired grandmother sitting in a rocking chair wishing for a picture of her grandson. Oh, yeah. Gee. Say, what time is it? Uh, Just about 5.15. Well, she wouldn't be in the rocker then. (laughs) You see, uh, Grandma don't get home till 9.30. She's a fry cook at Lucille's Short Order Lunchroom. All right, so you get the picture for your girlfriend. Well, gee, I wonder if Catherine would like a picture of me. I'd risk it, Mac. By gosh, I'll do it. Now, will you let go of my coat? <laughs> Why, sure, sure. Just stand over there and give me a good smile. Uh, wait, you better cinch up your tie a little. Well, I can't. The elastic in the back is wore out. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, can you push your uh, cap back a little? Well, it keeps sliding down. You see, I just had a haircut. Well, do the best you can. Hold it now. Smile. Oh, wait. My cap's down again. I can't see. Here goes. Brother, what an accident. Did I ruin your camera? <laughs> camera? No, I, I meant them cars that banged into each other. Hey, what's the matter? Can't you get your cap up? Oh, there. I got it. I couldn't see nothing. Will that spoil the picture? Nah, here, write your name and address on this card. You'll get the picture in a day or two. Oh, all right. That one buggy really got wrinkled up there. Looks like the gent with a Hamburg hat got bounced around pretty good. You want my middle initial? Nah, two bits is all I want from you now. Two bits? Yep. Of course, now, if you want some extra prints in color... Hey, look, they're hauling that one guy off in the ambulance. Where? Well, I'll be doggone. That's Mr. Brown. I better see if he's hurt bad. Uh... Give me my two bits first. Oh, doggone it, they got away. I better get on home and tell Mrs. Brown. Well, wait, where's my two bits? Why, that little chiseler. Excuse me, my name's Lucas. Did you see this accident I was just in now? Yeah, sure, I... Good, good, I need a witness. Did not see it. Oh, you didn't? Well, who was that guy you were talking to, the the one with the cap? Why, his name is... uh, Get it right here. Oh, Opie Cates, 611 Vermley Building. Opie Cates, good. I'll get in touch with him. By the time I got back to my boarding house, they'd heard about the accident and told me that the ambulance had brought Mr. Brown home and he was in bed. So I took some awful pretty artificial flowers and went over to cheer up Mr. Brown. I knocked on the door, and when the door opened, gosh... It was Catherine. Oh, good evening, Mr. Cates. Hello. 
These are flowers. <laughs> yes, I see. They're very pretty. Are they for me? Uh, no, they're for your papa. <laughs> oh, well, uh, that's very thoughtful of you. Won't you come in? Yes, ma'am. May I take your cap? Oh, no, thanks. Oh, I that's just... right. You just stuff it in your pocket. Oh, yes, ma'am. How would you know? Was your papa hurt bad? Dad? Oh, he was shaken up quite badly. The only real bruise he got was a scratched knuckle. But you know how he is. You'd think he broke every bone in his body. Oh, Mother, Mr. Cates brought some flowers for Dad. Oh, how nice. Well, they're artificial. They last a lot longer. <laughs> they're pink hibiscus. Yes, well, uh, I wonder if you'd mind waiting a minute before you take them into Mr. Brown. He's, well, he's a little on edge right now, and any little annoying thing upsets him. Yes, ma'am. I'll go in his bedroom and check first. Yes, ma'am. Uh, won't you sit down, Mr. Kate? Well, thank you. Don't mind if I do. I got my picture took today. Oh? The front view. <laughs> well, that sounds nice. When I get it, would you like to see it? Why, yes, I'd love to. It's a front view. <laughs> yes, I know. All right, Mr. Cates, you may go in now, but... He's about ready to go to sleep, so I wouldn't stay too long. Oh, no, ma'am, I won't. Uh, I'll be right back, Miss Brown, and we can talk some more. Yes, that'll be nice. Hmm. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Kate. Here's some flowers. Thanks. They're real artificial ones. Yes. That's quite obvious. Here, do you, you want to hold them? Mm, no, thanks. The paint won't rub off on your hands. Kate, stop shaking them in my face. Oh, yes, sir. They're pink hibiscus. Mm. Scratched your knuckle, huh? Yes, a little. Fellow back in Clinton, Arkansas, used to crack his knuckles. Bert Feasy. Good for Bert. <laughs> Sounded like he was shelling hazelnuts. Kate, thanks for the flowers, and I'll see you at the office in a couple of days. Oh, yes, sir. Bert got so good at cracking his knuckles, he could almost play Yankee Doodle on them. Mm. The first part of it, anyway. I know how Yankee Doodle goes. Now, leave me alone. Your phone's ring. I couldn't hear it. Gosh, that's mighty handy having a phone right next to your bed. Hello? Hello, Malcolm. This is Bentley. Oh, uh, just a minute. Kate, will you stop standing there staring at me? This is my lawyer, and I've got to talk to him. So sit down or do something. Oh, yes, sir, I will. Hello, Ben. Ouch! Kate, get off my foot! <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I, I thought that was just a bubble in the blanket. Well, don't sit on my bed. Hello? What's all that yelling? Is your knuckle bothering you? No, a knucklehead. 
Well, Malcolm, this bird, Lucas, is suing you, all right. So I hope you've been able to find some witnesses. How could I find witnesses? I've been in bed ever since the accident. Uh, I don't know anybody who was there. Let me see. Who did I see there? Well, you've got to have a witness. We'll never be able to prove in court that Lucas went through that red light without one. Well, I don't know who we could get. I That photographer's there. I remember him. Well, I'll scout around and see what I can find and call you back tomorrow. You get some rest now. Yes. Goodbye. Might have known Lucas would be the type that did so. Is Lucas the fellow that was driving the green car? Yes, and me with no witness. That sure was a nice coon tail he had on the radiator cap. Well, I suppose I'll just have to go into court without a green car. How did you know what color the car was? Oh, I was standing right there on the corner when the accident happened. Well, for heaven's sakes, man, why didn't you say so? You can be my witness. But, well, Mr. Brown, I don't know how to be no witness. My lawyer will explain everything to you. I- I'll have him drop in the office tomorrow and talk to you. Why, well, just follow his instructions. Oh, yes, sir. Hmm. Now, we'll show that, Lucas. Imagine him suing me. Why, well, I can drive better than him with no hands on the steering wheel. Hmm. Oh, gee, you must be a good driver if you can do that. <laughs> May not be as young as I used to, but I can drive with the best of them. Well, the last time I applied for my driver's license, they didn't even bother to make me take the driving test. I wanted to, but they wouldn't let me. That shows right there what kind of a driver I am. Oh, yes, sir, it sure does. Well, I'd better be going. Oh, no, no, don't rush off, <laughs> Kate, old fellow. I, I want to talk to you some more. Sit down, my boy. Oh, well, yes, sir. Now, we were talking... Ouch! Kate, get off my foot! <laughs> <laughs> Well, sir, with a break like that, it sure looked like my luck was changing at last. That was the nicest Mr. Brown has ever been to me. The next morning at work, I knew Mr. Brown wouldn't be down at all, so I sort of hung around inside his private office. Doggone, that sure is a comfortable chair he's got. It was kind of fun working that inter-office phone contraption, too. You know, where you press down that little lever and get Mr. Brown's secretary's voice? Yes? Hello? again. Oh, but you better get out of there before Mr. Brown catches you. Oh, he don't care. I'm his star witness. Well, what do you want anyway? Nothing. Goodbye. (laughs) I'm gonna be the star witness with the banjo on my knee. Yes? Kate's to Tutley. Over. Roger, Wilco, Wilco, Roger. Opie, cut it out, will you? I've got work to do. Circling landing field. Request landing instructions. Do what? Oh, you know, tell me what to do with my plane. Oh, brother, would I like to. (laughs) Hmm. Sure is a nice desk he's got here. Let me see now. Bismo Pepto. Shake well. <laughs> Parizonin. Parizonin. Art photo magazine. 
Gosh. Well, I wasn't looking at nothing. Dragon Lady to Hot Shot Charlie, over. Huh? There's a man here in the control tower to see you. To see me? He says he took a picture of you yesterday. Oh, him. Well, send him right in, Miss Tutley. With his flaps down. Yes, sir, Hot Shot. <laughs> Gonna be the star witness riding on a pony. Come in, come in. Hiya, Mac. I brought your picture. It... Hey, I didn't know you had a layout like this. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> sure fool me, Mac. You don't look the type. Well, looks ain't everything, bub. Just watch it here now. Yeah? I want my two bits for the picture, Mac. Wait a minute now. Miss Tutley, in regard to that $20,000 policy I just sold... Now, listen here, small fry. Yeah, that's the one. Change that to $30,000 and add a $60,000 casualty clause and throw in an $80,000 double indemnity clause. Oh, drop dead. Yeah, drop the death clause. (laughs) Huh? That's all, Miss Tutley. Now, what was it, son? (laughs) I want two bits from you. Oh, yes, sir. Two bits. Mm Mm-hmm. Just a minute. Yeah? Miss Tutley, could you lend me 19 cents? Oh, all right. The young lady will be right in with the cash. Yep. Well, (laughs) here's your picture. Yeah, let me see that. I hope Catherine... Hey, is this me? What do you expect for a quarter, a likeness? (laughs) Well, no, but where am I? That's you, there behind the cap. Oh. Well, anyway, it's a pretty good shot of my neck. <laughs> Say, um, did that Lucas guy's lawyer ever get hold of you? Lucas? Yeah, they're looking for witnesses for that car accident. Wanted me to testify, but I said next to that, I don't want to get mixed up with that phony lawyer. Is he a phony? Oh, sure. I read about him in the papers. They've been trying to get him disbarred. If he comes around, steer clear of him. Oh, don't worry. I'm on Mr. Brown's side. Star witness. His lawyer's coming here to talk to me today. Well, here you are, Mr. Morgenthau. Nineteen cents. Well, just give it to him, and here's my six cents to go with it. Well, thanks, Mac. You want some extra prints of that in color, just let me know. Oh, I doubt if the cap would show up good in color. It's pretty well faded by now. <laughs> well, so long, hot shot. Keep him flying. Well, let's see the picture. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed in it, but here it is. Yipe! You paid money for this? Who are you hiding from? All I can see is your cap. Well, yeah, I just had a haircut, and it kept slipping down over my eyes. Listen, you better call that guy back and tell him to retouch it to make your, your face show. Well, my neck look comes out pretty good in it, though. Wait a minute. I think I heard somebody come in out there. Oh, gosh, I hope it's not Mr. Brown. Oh, he won't be down today. Well, how do you do, sir? May I help you? Yes, my name is Flieger. I'm Mr. Lucas's lawyer, and I'm looking for a Mr. Opie Cates. Oh, yes, just a minute. Young Dr. Malone speaking. <laughs> Listen, Doc, there's a Mr. Flieger out here to see you. Who? Well, he says he's a lawyer. Oh, well, I'll send him right in. Mr. Brown said he'd be here today. You may go in, Mr. Flieger. Oh, thank you. It's that door right ahead of you. Yes, all right. Come on in, mister. Glad to see you. Well, thank you, Mr. Case. My name is Flieger. 
Hello. My client tells me you were a witness to an accident he was involved in yesterday. Well, yeah, that's right. Me and him talked about it last night. Oh, you did, huh? Well, I didn't know that. Did, uh, did you agree to be a witness for us? Oh, sure. Well, that's fine, fine. There's just a few details to run over then. Now, just how did you see this accident? Well, I didn't see it. You didn't? <laughs> but I thought you were there. Oh, I was there all right, but I couldn't see anything because my cap slipped down over my eyes. Ah. Is that bad? Oh, no. No, on the contrary, it might be better. You see, Mr. Cates, you won't be afflicted with the emotional stress suffered by most witnesses who actually see an accident. I won't? Certainly not. You'll have a completely unprejudiced point of view. Yeah. Now, in order for you to be a good witness for our side, you want to know exactly how the accident happened. Oh, yes, sir. All right, then. Here's a typewritten transcript of the whole thing precisely as it occurred. Now, you read this over. Yes, sir. At 5.15 on the afternoon of December the 9th, 1947, I was standing on the corner of 5th and Main, period, paragraph 2 at that time. Uh, I you to don't it. need to read it right now. The car driven by the play, play, plaintiff. Plaintiff approaching from the... You, uh, you just memorize all that, Mr. Cates, and I'll see you in court. Oh, yeah, all right. Uh, you're sure now this will fix Mr. Brown up? Oh, it certainly will. <laughs> Good day. So long. Opie Cates speaking. This is Mr. Bentley of the law firm of Bentley, Pepper, and Bentley. Uh-oh. That must be that lawyer Lucas hired. What is it now, Opie? Miss Tutley, if any more lawyers call, tell them I'm out and ain't coming back. I got some important papers to memorize. Now, back to Opie Cates. Sir, I sat right to work learning that stuff the lawyer gave me because this was my big chance to help Mr. Brown. I knew Catherine would be at the courthouse, so I took along my picture just in case I might get up enough nerve to give it to her. Well, sir, when I walked in the courthouse lobby, I knew my luck was holding out because there waiting for me was Catherine. Mr. Gates? Oh, Mr. Gates. Hello. Oh, goodness, Dad was worried to death. He thought you might not show up. I got that picture of me I was telling you about. Oh, you did? Yes, ma'am. Do you have a memory book where you keep photos and momentums? Cates! Oh, gee, there's Dad calling It's you. about time you showed up, Cates. Where have you been? Oh, I got stuck at the supermarket. That's great. Here I am up to my neck in a damaged suit, and you're out buying groceries. Oh, I didn't buy any. They was giving out free breakfast food samples. Well, come on, let's get inside. Crummies. I ate five bowls of them. What? They're blown out of a cannon. A cannon? They must lose an awful lot of them that way, though. Chase, what are you talking about? Why, crummies. Well, will you please stop this dribble and get inside the courtroom? Oh, yes, sir. Are you sure you know what to say on the witness stand? Oh, don't you worry about me, Mr. Brown. I'm sure going to surprise you. Being brought before the court this morning is Lucas versus Brown. 
All right, counsel for the plaintiff. You may call your first witness. Thank you, Your Honor. I would like to call as my first witness a young man of irrefutable character. Hmm, probably some dolt. Probably. A boy whose simple, childlike quality will prove conclusively that his testimony could be nothing but an accurate representation of the facts involved. Case, if I didn't know you were our witness, I'd swear he was describing you. <laughs> I would therefore like to call our eyewitness, Mr. Opie Cates. Cates! Well, who did you expect? Cates! What have you done? Oh, don't you worry none, Mr. Brown. I got everything straight. Oh! Mr. Cates to the witness stand. I'm coming. Raise your right hand. No, no, your right hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you solemnly swear the testimony of the truth older than that so help you? Do I what? Do you solemnly swear the testimony of the truth older than that so help you? Well, I got the first part okay. It's a medal that sort of throws me. Cates, just say yes for heaven's sake. Well, if you say so, yeah. Do you swear to tell the truth so help you? Yes, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Be seated. State your name. Opie Cates, 611 Vermley Building. Just your name is all. Now then, Mr. Cates, At where... At 5.15 on the afternoon of... Uh, wait till I ask the question. <laughs> Oh, excuse me. Mr. Cates, I want you to tell the court exactly where you were at 5.15 p.m. on December 9th. At 5.15 on the afternoon of December the 9th, 1947, I was standing on the corner of 5th and Main, period, paragraph 2. At that time, I happened to... Uh, <laughs> that'll be fine, Mr. Cates. Now, now will you please tell the court exactly what you saw at that time? Is that paragraph 2? Uh... Continue, please. Paragraph two. At that time, I happened to observe the car driven by the plaint... The plaint... Plaintive? Yeah, I always forget that word. The plaintiff approaching from the south along 5th Street, period. He was traveling approximately 15 MPH and was continued on the next page. What? Halfway what? through the intersection when the car driven by the defendant traveling about 50 MPH crashed through the red light and ran into him. The end. I object, Your Honor. Cakes, you oaf. What are you saying? Order. Order in the court. But he's my witness. Silence. Kindly proceed with the witness, counsel. Your Honor, that concludes the testimony of our witness. A simple, direct statement from this clean-cut American lad. Clean-cut idiot. Which proves conclusively <laughs> that the defendant is guilty of gross negligence and of endangering the lives of men, women, and children upon the streets of our city. Brown, I don't understand this Cates fellow. Who does? Better get up there and do something, Bentley. Does the defense wish to cross-examine the witness? I most certainly do, Your Honor. Mr. Cates. Yes, sir? Isn't it true that you work for the defendant, Mr. Brown? I object. There's nothing in the direct testimony to allow this question in cross-examination. Objection sustained. Yeah, I work for Mr. Brown. <laughs> Mr. Cates, you stated that the defendant was traveling at a speed of approximately 50 miles per hour and crashed through a red light. Now, in your contacts with Mr. Brown, have you ever known him to drive at such a speed through the business district? Oh, no, Mr. Brown, he's a very good driver. I object. That's merely a personal opinion. Sustained. In fact, he's so good that he can drive with both hands off the wheel. 
<laughs> What's that? Well, that's what you told me, Mr. Brown. Oh, order. Order in the court. Mr. Cates, you stated it. Now, wait test. a minute. I want to tell you something else about Mr. Brown's driving. Just answer my question. The last time he went down to get a driver's license, they wouldn't even let him take the driving test. Oh. Well, that shows right there what kind of a driver he is. Mr. Cates, you stated that one of the cars was going 15 miles an hour and the other one 50 miles an hour. Now, how could you observe both of these cars at the same time and judge their speed so accurately? Well, let's see now. Are you sure you saw the cars at all before the impact? Well, you see, I... As a matter of fact, are you sure you were on that corner? Oh, yeah, I was there. Can you prove it? Well, uh... Oh, wait, sure, I can prove it. I got a picture of me. I'll show it to you. Well, what good is a picture? Get that imbecile off the sand. Well, look here. See, that's me there behind the cab. Oh. Well, what does that prove? Well, see here, don't you see the street sign? Main Street and Fifth Street? All right, but that could have been taken any time. No, look at the clock on the bank across the street. It says 5.15, don't it? Uh-huh. But what day? Well, it must be the same day, because there's Mr. Brown's car and there's Lucas's car. Yes? Well, that seems to prove you were there all right. Now there, Mr. K... Wait a minute. Let me see that picture again. Well, now, be careful. Don't tear it. Why, George, what do you know about that? Uh, Your Honor, I wish to submit this picture as evidence. I object. This is not the proper introduction of evidence. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, the court accepts this as evidence. And as much as the picture reveals quite clearly that the traffic signal was in Mr. Brown's favor, the court finds that the plaintiff has no ground for a suit. Therefore, I order the case dismissed. Court adjourned. Well, Cates, I... I don't know quite what to say to you. I must admit you saved me, but you operate in a rather strange fashion. <laughs> well, Mr. Brown, you don't know how much pleasure it gives me to do things like this. Eh? Oh, Mr. Cates, I wonder if you'd be kind enough to let me have that picture. I'd just love to have it. Oh, gosh, sure, you can have it, but... But what? Well, I'm sort of thinking of having it retouched so my face will show. <laughs> well, sir, I sure turned out to be the star witness, all right, even though I was kind of mixed up on just which lawyer was whose. I know Catherine was pretty proud of me, but Mr. Brown, he was completely amazed at my ability. Because all the way home from the courthouse, he kept saying, How does he do it? How can a man with his simple brain rise to such a complex type of stupidity? <laughs> you see what I mean? Opie Kate Show is brought to you each week at this same time by the American Broadcasting Company. It is written by Roswell Rogers, David Swift, and Harry Stewart. It is produced under the direction of Glenn Hall Taylor. Featured in tonight's cast were Francis X. Bushman, Barbara Fuller, and Myra Marsh. Music directed by Buzz Adlam. Lou Cook speaking. This program was transcribed. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.